Welcome to the E-Duchy of the Mosaic Arc. Do you know how to behave yet? <laughs> so we're out here on the frontier. We got some ladies. We got some gentlemen. We, we, we're dealing with the booger trolls. We hope they learn to behave after after last week's episode. But now that we're all here on this this ship, in this castle, in this community, do we know how to act like Christians? Do we know how to, what do we know what Jesus would do? Well, maybe, maybe. Do we know how to be civilized as Christians? That's our question tonight on the Mosaic Ark. gonna let in your channel i you know I, I i think there should be a quiz to whether or not you can board our arc you need to be able to you need to know how to behave are you guys anxious yet what do you what are you what are you gonna do to them to make sure that they know how to behave on our ship i'm just i just can't i'm just kicking people out I'm just off you're all you're <laughs> off you're all off i mean you're the out. booger trolls you're you're banned. i don't care <laughs> Do you think they care? I mean, this is, I've, I, I really, I, no. <laughs> sorry. You think they won't care? I mean, we have, we have our very select crew uh, listening to us live. Welcome everyone. You get to join us in the actual Hello. live streaming and the conversation and the development of art and goodness and, and, and beauty. Uh, wait, the truth, the good and the beautiful, right? That's what we're streaming <laughs> in aid of, but the, uh, you know, obviously, we're we you and I, Kilts are out 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 here. Other than just in the very polite confines of our unauthorized TV chat, braving the storms of those who would or wouldn't join our educhi. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> there. You're provoking me to have a rant. Please, please do. Right? No, I mean, the, the, the rants I want to have, I was like, okay, do you know what my life is like as a professor? I'm constantly in anxiety, right? Shh, right? D have I said something wrong? Am I, am, I, am I leading this discussion correctly? And then I realized, of course, you know, one, I have very well-behaved students because they're in my classroom right and so of course they're going to behave well because they're they, they want to learn right and and then i and then i go back out into 
my internet channel or my my chat. No, actually, my chat is very well behaved too. I wonder where I'm finding ones that aren't. <laughs> In the surrounding duchies. In the surrounding duchies. Oh my gosh! And then, of course, and then, of course, you end up in interminable and bitchy. We're not talking about mm -hmm. ladies today. We're going to do a ladies. We're going to do a completely special stream of like probably an entire year. I don't know. How long does it take women to learn how to behave? Um, uh, that the, There are rules and then there are rules. And we are all out here in the frontier trying to figure out what they are. Mm. Well, the other e-duchies, I mean, I quit them all because <laughs> I realized there are no artists in those e-duchies. So I left. <laughs> well, this frustrates I me left. too. It's like there's a part, so we should have a purpose for being on our ship. We should have a purpose for being in our e-duchy. But it's like, is that is that the definition of civilization? We need to have a purpose together? Maybe it is. Maybe we're done. <laughs> we, we, did, we did the, we did the, the stream tonight in, a, in 20 minutes. No, not even. We did it in less than eight minutes. <laughs> Ken Ken has given us a, a um a super chat, therefore he gets to have his voice heard. There there is courtesy here, which is gift giving. <laughs> Count me in for E Duchy. Will there be cake? Oh yes, definitely cake. Of course. So, Silent Draco <laughs> says include harumph. Isaiah Nandy Z, good evening. Silent Draco, good evening all. Yes, welcome everyone. We need to learn how to behave. Now you guys, you guys who are with us right now, all know how to behave. You've been very polite. You've said hello. These are all important lessons. Are they Christian? Are they necessarily Christian? And then you get into the huge conversations of whether it's possible to be polite and, and well, polite, is it polite, moral, or virtuous without being Christian? Oh no, that the, we're now we're opening up the cans of worms. <laughs> For the booger troll to eat. Ooh. <laughs> um. Yeah, and is it is it possible to be well mannered and impolite? Well, so this this is where I usually end up in in our e duchy problem. It's like you have people telling you you're being nasty, and then you have other people saying that's not Christian. I actually have there's a song by a certain singer whom we we enjoy who's talking about his dad and he going on off against each other. Right. I only listen to Jesus is King oh, right now. Yeah, That's yeah. literally all the music I have. I, I listen to it on the way to church. I hear mass. I come back. I'm listening to Jesus is King. And in the song where he's, he's going back and forth when Ye's going back and forth with his dad of that's not Christ-like. That's not Christ-like. You're not Christ-like. And they're yelling at each other. Right. It's like, no, but that's not Christ-like. And no one ever tells you what being Christ-like is. Right, just like it's not, right? That's not Christ-like. So yeah. that's not Christ-like. Yeah. Yeah, well, Christ got pretty fiery sometimes. He did. But this is, this is where, you know, so we're in this problem of... What counts as Christ? Okay, so we were, so again, I'm like, this is actually where I ended up in my class today because we were talking about the Normans. And when the Normans come mm -hmm. into England, basically William the Conqueror is a bastard. That's a technical term. <laughs> he's called <laughs> William the Bastard because he's, in fact, I guess, Ill allegedly illegitimate. But he's also a riotous, murderous, murderous thug who then founds all these monasteries, like at Battle Abbey, where he defeated Harold Godwinson. Although, apparently... The Godwinsons are, everybody's nasty. 
And and then you have mm-hmm. the society. I'm mean, talking about our e-duchies or our castles, building all these castles and then having the monks pray for them and then doing penance. And then are they being Christian? And then, of course, because William the Conqueror um, brings in Jews <laughs> to England who had not been living there before, they come with him when he's you know reestablishing cities that he's sacked and burned and and they rebuilding and so there's suddenly this this whole very complicated social situation of the people who he's conquered the norman nobility who are now lording literally lording it over the local population foreigners Mm -hmm. i mean william brings in they the normans bring in all sorts of foreigners flemings jews mainly flemings and jews the flemings come in as mercenaries um and the jews come in as merchants and then who gets who is who who is going to set the the proper behavior for this whole society now well did it was it might makes right <laughs> i mean was it the was it the conquering aristocracy that decided how the locals would behave well that you you'd think so in our e-duchy context it's like if we can go in, I mean, since on in our e-duchies, we can't actually kill anybody yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. I say <laughs> so it's it's it is in fact all verbal, right? And and therefore mm-hmm. perform you know performances of language and. Um, whether we're nasty or nice, it, I mean, you could, I guess if you're admins in a chat, you could be banning people and that's, that's, that's virtually murdering them because they can't talk anymore. Um, Or exile, you know. (laughs) Or sending you into exile because you've been rude in court. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little digital exile. Yeah, I think doxing is probably the equivalent of killing somebody on the internet. Okay, yeah, and and that is that that would be murder, and an e duchy would be to dox somebody. But but that but that's like breaking the bounds of the the e, so that it's saying doxing hmm. them is is putting them in danger in this this not e world, in this in this yes. actual world, whereas the e world is, well, the way I always think about it was why I'm enjoying the e duchy problem and the. The sort of mm-hmm. it, that it's all it, the, we're, we're we're in this so I mean it's oral so they're or you know we're in the oral streaming and so forth but it's it's because it's um, electronic and disembodied discarnate we're all about the 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 you know um, I just got static because my my dog went under my chair and that some somehow created static in the room I don't know what uh, that we are all you know that it's beyond our ability to do anything to people physically so everything has to happen Mm -hmm. as if we can't touch each other and i what i just started thinking about i was watching the the project veritas video that um when um what's his name the pfizer one yeah the pfizer one james Mm -hmm. i met james many years ago um when he is um confronting the man with the video that they've just made saying you just said this and it, for the the guy in the restaurant it's like it's horror right i could you know you could see he, the pfizer guy is not happy but it, it it's like someone has like leapt out of the screen at him 
I I think mm. it, the the sort of you know how can how can you be here when I was just talking to this person? He's saying I you know of course I was lying. I was on a date. You know of course I lie. So there's there's some layers there. But the the sort of the <laughs> horror of having the physical world you know leap out at you and suddenly be there in your actual space when you've expected all of these things okay. to be simply virtual and and visual and um, verbal. Mm. The incarnation is our sub theme here. You guys realize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, th there's a lot of layers to that. First off, it's like, well, I'm I'm lying. I'm on a date. That's kind of the equivalent of, oh, well, I'm lying. I'm in a chat room. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting look. It's look. It's an interesting thing because the you can't physically remove yourself, or you can't physically remove other people from the idachis either. You're, right, you're stuck with people in a way that you wouldn't be normally. Because if you're in a room with somebody that you don't like, you just tell them to leave, or you leave. You can't really do that in idachis mm. unless you're in charge of it. Uh, so this is a problem I was describing last week when I said it's very hard. It's very hard to regulate the the norms in that environment because you're kind of beholden to the autocrats of the edochis. You know, the rulers of these chat rooms, they rule the chat. You can't um, you can't navigate it without the autocrat. They, but but they, that's is that a bad thing? Well, it depends on the chat room, I suppose. It depends on the autocrat. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we get into the uh, comparative, you know, com comparing all of these little micro kingdoms and and how they operate, and you know, you can kind of see the these little mini worlds that are springing up everywhere, and you just think, I don't like that one. I'm leaving. <laughs> well, they do. They or, very definitely take on the character of the the autocrat, right? The lord. So, and, hmm. and, and the thing is, yeah. I'm actually fine with that. I think it's, it's totally appropriate that, you know, my chat is different from yours, is different from, well, Owen's, <laughs> out of which I was kicked for talking about the Trinity. <laughs> um, it's different from, you know, the, the, the conversation that Vox has is different from the conversations that... I don't know, E. Michael Jones has in his chat. Mm. It's like that that it, it that we talked about this last time. It's it's actually in a way encouraging and fine that all of these separate little households or communities are developing. And that you know, I think it's actually utterly appropriate that, you know, they have rules for how you should behave in their room. And if you mm -hmm. can't behave in their room, you leave. <laughs> my way of getting kicked yeah. out so you know and and the thing is just like we wouldn't have society or civility this is our big borders question right it's like do you just let everybody come mm -hmm. in yeah. without having some sense of how everyone behaves together in which community you're talking about right in the frontier town with schweringen yes. and his frontier women or in our frontier chats where in my telegram chat you know i have I always I can get rid of people very easily because I say I have one rule at the beginning, which is salute your opponent. You don't come in courteously into my into my chat room 
I am under no obligation whatsoever to allow you to stay because I told you what the rule was at the outset. Yeah. And, and that, and that, that sort of creation of culture, society, it, again, it's like it, 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 I can, it can be endlessly fascinating to realize that we're living through this, right? This, 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 this mm-hmm. emergence of the e-world is um, happening, you know, as we play, as it were. But then we are coming into it with, with well, could it, could it exist without norms of, of behavior? And then what should those be? Could it exist without norms of behavior? I just instantly thought of 4chan. <laughs> That's the ultimate internet frontier environment mm. because there are no, well, there there are kind of norms. There were kind of norms, but it uh, anything goes and you find anything there. So there's a completely unregulated frontier. Mm-hmm. These ones are, yeah, these ones are different. They disprove the theory that open borders works, definitely. Uh, in the yeah, you you have to regulate who's coming in and out. But you've mentioned this before as well. We find that if you have the same people in there all the time, they become stagnant and dead. Yep. You need to have new people entering the e-duchy in order to keep it interesting to keep things moving this this is Um, true too yes so we have we have in fact the problem that adam smith might recognize right Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i don't you love how i just brought that in right it's like well well, how do how do we get from (laughs) e-duchies to adam smith well the problem the problem we're having with open borders generically which i'm very grateful Mm. to vox for for saying is this ideal not free trade Right, which we we're sort of yes. cascading down the problems of freedom of expression, which you know, the, yes. in in the e duchies, that's often, you know, it's like, well, I thought you believed in freedom of speech. It's like not in my room. Bang! <laughs> it's like you, I told you how I want you to behave here. If you want freedom of speech, go out in that other place. But where is that other place? Yes. And you know, as we found out in the 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 larger e world, you know, it doesn't include. It certainly doesn't include Facebook. Although I will say, my 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 post about you know the the effects of the medicine that every you know particular gentleman who was costed by Project Veritas was working with have now that the, the fact checkers on Facebook have slowed down. <laughs> that my my Facebook posts are getting less less rapidly fact checked and 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 labeled. Mm. It's you know I think there's a the I again I'm not sure that it was wrong for facebook to want to do that but it is a problem it's like you say freedom of expression about what under what circumstances and then the the free trade right as fox has shown that ends up with um not just the movement of goods right without tariffs which i mean i'm just going to bring in all the other guys on our platform right which which razor fist was talking about when he's talking about lincoln right it's like the degree to which you yes. know, the North wanted to get money out of those tariffs that they would want to impose on the South. So there's taxes and movements of goods. But then if you take Adam Smith's idea of all of this freedom, right, this free out to its logical limits, you end up with the freedom of labor, right? The, every, the labor moves around all over the world and you end up with no, no yes. communities whatsoever because literally it all dies. 
as we're now yes. experiencing. It's like the nations are pushing back against, ironically enough, the idea ideas of the enlightened philosopher who invented, uh, who wrote the wealth of nations, right? <laughs> so we're supposed to be getting wealthy as nations, but in fact, what happens if you let everybody, everything move around freely in these terms with no borders to anything, allegedly, you have no communities. No, no, everything dissolves. Tribes dissolve, families dissolve, because everybody's been turned into an economic unit. Mm -hmm. Which is Australia. Right, our vending machine, our vending, the Australia's vending yeah. machine is the yeah. Adam Smithian version of quote free trade right it should the labor and the trade should the com uh, the industry should move to the place where it's least expensive to make it and everybody benefits allegedly yes until it becomes yeah yeah until it becomes cheaper to send it somewhere else then you end up with the multinational corporation model which is where you've got companies you know you've got an american company that moves its factory to china and that, that becomes more expensive so they move it to vietnam right then that becomes too expensive then then you know they'll try and find a poorer country with it. just perpetual outsourcing of everything um, because the labor's been divorced from uh, the home economy. So it's like the public economic um, requirements are divorced from the, the home economy of having family and having children. Mm. It's the whole thing is being completely divorced from home economic life. So you can outsource perpetually because it doesn't matter because um, it's just labor units getting shifted around instead of realizing that the the economy should be based in the production of materials in a particular loca location, which creates a culture in the first place. You know, right. you can't move a steel mill from one country and put it into another country and then retain the same cultures in both places. The technology is going to change the culture. The absence of the the absence of the technology is going to change the culture there as well. We had this problem in uh, in Australia because we had a huge automotive industry. It was like uh, Detroit. You know, we had a lot of car companies that used to operate from Australia. They've ceased operations now. We don't produce automotive uh, uh, um, stuff, you know, cars engine parts, that kind of thing. It's all been closed down. The communities around the the factories were very working class, like typically labor voting, which is pro-union, you know, old left, um, you know, pre, <laughs> pre purple hair and gender pronouns leftists. Um, and the laboring left, a lot of the, guys, the laboring left. Yes. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The laboring left as opposed to the, uh, I don't know what. what... <laughs> well, the SJW left. No, word, the F, so, yes. so yeah, it, yeah. So we have now we have this economic idea that we can move all these people around. Apparently, well, you know, expecting them all to be able to behave. Question: yeah. Was Adam Smith so stupid that he just assumed this would work? <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm gonna why yes. why was he so stupid to think this would this would simply work if you just you know we're gonna have the wealth of nations we're gonna move stuff around we're gonna have 
you know, one country making one thing, one kind doesn't, everything can move around very easily and there's going to be no breakdown of civilization. He sounds like a, he sounds like the kind of people that designed the education system. So yeah, I would believe it. Well, I mean, he, a, did, a, he is because certainly, know. certainly the American education system was founded on these Scottish enlightened philosophers who all, you know, trotted over to Princeton and then became Presbyterian ministers. <laughs> so, so there's, there, yeah, <laughs> there's Smithian, <laughs> there, there's Smithian expectations of the way people behave behind a lot of mm. what we are facing now and this smithian expectation of the way people behave you know you've, i'm certain certain you've heard the phrase when people say oh it's just common sense right we, we've talked about this mm. it's just common sense that the way everybody's mm. going to behave in a way that society is simply going to work self-assemble self-assemble yeah, right self -assembling this self-assembling society, society yeah. that is simply going to work and and, and you know we have um adam smith and his 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 enlightened philosophy to thank for that why on earth did he think this would work? Do, 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 do. Well, he actually wrote two books. <laughs> one was The Wealth of Nations, which everybody has heard. The other one is, of course, the less read but equally fascinating so-called Theory of Moral Sentiments. Now, one should mm. run screaming from the Theory of Moral Sentiments almost instantaneously. Why should that be? What are sentiments? <laughs> feelings feelings <laughs> why class i'm out bye why, <laughs> why why class did adam smith think everybody would behave well because his feelings told him they yes would. <laughs> it's literally i mean it's like we're talking about the conservatives are now reeling you know in in, in desperation and horror because realizing okay not only did adam smith <laughs> invent you know the philosophy that we end up with with the free trade so that our communities crumble he literally also invented the sjw's <laughs> who you know are are motivated by he's like adam smith is woke this this is this should be the meme that comes out of this episode and horrifies people i actually wrote a little a little blog post about this back in 2017 it was a long time ago um why shaming works Oh. And and this is it's it's fascinating because I I think I didn't really get it at the time that the po the post is something about like why um, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Milo uh, purportedly never feel shame and and I, I work through it and it's like you know because shaming relies on doubting yourself and they just never feel doubt and so they they just don't they 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 just don't get it right but the the, the what I recognize now is more important about what Smith claims is that he is. Ba literally basing his entire expectation of people behaving well on you're not wanting to be shamed. It's 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 the single most SJW technique we have, right? In Adam Smith's words, now that you you cannot shame me because I actually know the words. Man naturally desires not only to be loved but to be lovely or to be that thing which is the natural and proper object of love. He naturally dreads not only to be hated, but to be hateful, or to be that thing which is the natural and proper object of hatred. He desires not only praise, but praiseworthiness, or to be that thing which, though it should be praised, by nobody is, however, the natural and proper object of praise. 
He dreads not only blame, but blameworthiness, or to be that thing which, though it should be blamed by nobody, is, however, the natural and proper object of blame. Um, so he says, uh, Smith goes on to say, it's, 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 not a, it's not just that he wants to be worthy, to find oneself the object of praise, you want to be worthy of it. Um, worse than being hated in Smith's account is to know oneself a proper object of hatred. This is shame, the feeling of being less than one knows in one's heart one should be. This is me, right? Not only because one is not loved, but because he or she is not worthy of love. So we, we, we want not just to be loved, but to be confident that we are worthy of love, that we are the thing that should be loved and are so are loved for our own sake, not just for what we appear. We need to, we want to be lovely, right? Shamey works <laughs> because we doubt whether or not we're actually worthy of love. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. I'm choking. Oh, <laughs> so is this what it means to be Christian, right? To be subject to shame because you're constantly anxious about whether you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of love, to, to be dreading always to find yourself the object of hatred. I ask you. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen no. <laughs> is this to be christian to be so afraid that someone might talk badly about you that you will no longer be loved <laughs> real now i i'll i'll wait while you get over how this <laughs> <clears throat> No, so I'm, I'm really, I'm choking on Adam Smith. <laughs> but that is so messed up. There are so many implications for how this has been weaponized. Oh, Lord. I just think right now I'm choked up too, but from drinking, which is very rude. I should not be drinking while we're talking. It might, <laughs> it might, horror of horrors, remind you I have a body. And how disgusting. It's just not the How disgusting. The how disgusting to be incarnate. <laughs> And my throat choked up because I get a little tickle in it from the fizzy water I have. <clears throat> yeah, no, I think the thing is, I think when I wrote that, when I wrote that five years, six years ago, I was like, you know, figuring out how to survive. Like we started last stream talking about my, my, you know, three cheers for white men problem and how I ended up, you know, the, the, the opprobrium of academia for making fun of feminists mm. and then finding Milo out there making fun of feminists by, you know, his little poll on Twitter about cancer and feminism and feminine, you know, mm. rather of cancer than feminism. Um, and <laughs> realizing, you know, it's like the, the shame, the way Adam Smith is describing the effects of shame. It's like you're driven to doubt yourself. You're driven to doubt whether you're lovely, lovely, like lovable, lovable, lovely. And that is the mechanism that, as far as Smith's was concerned, keeps everybody in line. <laughs> and, then, and then I was, I was doomed, doomed, to, <laughs> doomed to realize that Adam Smith basically gave us the SJWs who thrive, yeah. you know, generically on making sure that you're more terrified of having people whispering about you and talking about you in the background and, you know, not responding in, 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 you know, friendly fashion to you in public, than you are of being, um, righteous. righteous. 
Yeah. <clears throat> it seems like a economic model based on <laughs> narcissistic abuse. I mean, <laughs> you're going to gaslight an entire economy into operating because everybody's too scared to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, be the wrong thing. Makes perfect sense why this is generated. <clears throat> the social justice mob. I, this the, the 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 Ouroboros element here is like we've you know the the people you carrying around wealth of nations you know that our econ department at the University of Chicago was still like the biggest undergraduate major and everyone's wanting yeah. to you know live in I guess sort of some kind of capitalism free market cap free market capitalism right well free market capitalism and SJW wokeness are literally the child of this the children of the same father. <laughs> mm. <laughs> in this enlightened expectation that just i don't know the mechanism is going to work it's a yeah so th there's a level of horror there how did how how did we get here is this christian is this christian behavior Well, clearly we need to. That's a, look, that's a trick question. Is it, well, I don't. The thing is, it's like, what does what does Christian behavior even mean? And it's 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 now time to look at our images, right? <laughs> so, I, you know, the the so I've been reading. Okay, no, it's this um this very interesting book on the British Jesus. I'll show the book. Um, uh, 1850 to 1970 by Meredith Feldman. I highly recommend this if you want to know why we have the images of. Jesus that we do and the th the 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 thing that she talks about she's not talking about manners or or behaving like a christian this is just like what Jesus how Jesus was represented in um Victorian England and into Edwardian England and it goes it goes through 19 it really goes through yeah 1970 so um she has a postscript where she talks about life of Brian and a bit on Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth. Things things that I did not appreciate. I did not appreciate how strange it was. For example, in in the um, 40s, it's the 40s, all my dates have flown out of my head. In the, in the 1940s, <laughs> when Dorothy Sayers wrote the script for the radio play, The Man Who Would Be mm -hmm. King, um, that this was the first time the BBC had tried to, to portray Jesus at all. Right. So so it's like the radio Jesus is is coming into being. And then by the 1950s, mm -hmm. they have to, you know, they're worried about the television Jesus. So they have to, you know, invent him so that I realized that the shows that I was impressed by from the 70s, like what Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar and Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, um, the, the Zeffirelli one, and then mm -hmm. Life of Brian soon after. Like the, the, the 1970s was this heyday of these new um Jesus narratives. I guess Hollywood had been making all the sword and sandal epics in the fifties, but it's it, you know, we're we're sort of suddenly in the in the the electric Jesus. Yeah. With with, <laughs> with all of this imagery. And for England it was very challenging because Jesus had not been portrayed by an actor since the seventeenth century. Interesting. Yeah, that, that blew my mind. Why? Because they thought it was Catholic. <gasps> oh yes. <laughs> because it, yes, and so so, cool. so although I had, I'm sorry, I I don't have a tissue and I need and my nose is dripping. This is really bad. I'm how topical. <laughs> I'm going to have to wipe my nose. There I go. How gross. Oh. Use the tablecloth. What? 
I've, I've, don't use the table. I don't have. Well, I'm covered in I'm covered in in doggy trousers and stuff that I wear to the park. So I guess that's okay. Um, that th- th- think about my nose starts dripping when I'm talking about not portraying the incarnate <laughs> God on the stage. Sniff, snort. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the, 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 there had been a theater act that forbid the portrayal of Jesus on stage <clears> from the 17th <throat> century. So we think, you know, we think of English drama, the great English drama, right? Shakespeare stuff. They're never portraying Jesus until mm. Dorothy Sayers did this radio play script. And then in the 50s, they have a television show on the BBC um, with um, Tom Fleming. I haven't watched this one portraying jesus and he's sort of a you know it's a more standard classical actor so he goes all king james version on them but because the 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 protestants were so anxious about not falling into catholicism that was one of the things they that there were complaints about um sayers radio version of jesus that it's this lady lady novelist doing the roman catholic oberamagau the great passion play in germany could find that it's 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 a good it's um so they're terrified of converting by accident to catholic behavior yes yes <laughs> that um they don't i i loved sayer's play i didn't realize it's like horribly anglican but you know um that they they worried about yeah for example um Letters. The BBC got letters all the time. We think this dramatization of the New Testament is dreadful. This impersonation of Christ and Mary in modern voices, apart from being ridiculous, it is wrong and gives an incorrect impression and removes the awe and majesty due to Christ. Um, they were constant. They, it was. It, it's interesting that the more they tried to portray the incarnate Christ, the more people got upset. Um, so that so that we end up mm. we end up on the other side with the life of Brian is kind of like it's a straight trajectory there. And what the the mm. problem being for the English is by the time the Pythons did Life of Brian, nobody cared. Mm. Right. It was it was in the, well at least according to Feldman Feldman in her account that they gotten that they tried so hard to represent. A historically accurate Jesus they ended up with no God so they'd stripped all the spirituality out of the gospel trying to make it so historically accurate yes and no so sort of right it's like and and that's you think okay it's just simple it's just simple that they they want to they you know they make they're worried about making him historically accurate and we used some pictures from some of that last week with the particularly Tiso's representations of the yeah. the, the the New Testament. Um, it that's going to get more complicated. But one of the it's like they they didn't know how to portray Jesus, and they kept wanting to make sure that he is both human, but not Roman Catholic, but awe inspiring and majestic but not like too silly or mystical or something. So, so mm-hmm. the, the, the picture I'm showing now is one of these, the, if you're, you're up in the 1850s in England, you would see this kind of Jesus in your children's Bible, right? Or they, they all end up in the children's book. So you have Jesus. He actually, what I find funny about this one is it's, it's, it's considered one of the, the sort of more feminized 
um, representations of Jesus. So he's sort of looking gently over his shoulder mm -hmm. and he's holding a lamb and stuff. But he's got the beard of that and the jaw of that Chad guy in the gifts. <laughs> the, the Chad meme guy. <laughs> the Chad meme guy. So, but interestingly, this, this Chad meme guy, long-haired, bearded Jesus is, is also a little wispy right in his affect because he's he's sort of gently cradling the the little lamb um and that there that there is no and, and it, it gets it gets funnier because the, there was a whole series of paintings done by this harold copping i think that i've got his name right mm -hmm. um and this this is the this the one showing now is um uh jesus with mary and martha and you can see the effects of the sort of they, they they want it all to be accurate, but they want it to be sort of awe-inspired and majestic, and they want it to be not Catholic, but they, it's like they're, they're in this terrible conflict in mm. the public conversation about what, you know, and they're also, Feldman is very good about this, is she's also talking about the way in which the Victorian New Testament, sorry, the Victorian New Testament scholars themselves are desperately fighting off the German Protestant liberal version of Jesus, which has a variety of registers, whether or not they think they can find Jesus in the New Testament as a historical character, or whether the New Testament is all mythology, or whether it's like nobody knows where to look. And never mind, what would Jesus do? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like vexed with how to, and I think I, with our conversations, I realized some of this is this is all happening in the midst of the great media transformation that obviously we're we're also meditating on the it all begins mm -hmm. around 1860 so it fits yep. with the big media transformation it plays out in um you know these paintings these books these these uh reproduce the the um pictures the famous pictures the tissot pictures will turn into of slideshows, right? They'll have lantern slides, so you can go to the, your Sunday school or your church and have lectures with slides, like we do here. <laughs> um, mm. And then you know the the radio plays, and then the television, and there's this incredible anxiety about what do you do once you're trying to portray Jesus, not you know in pictures or with an actor making you know believe that he is portraying our Lord. Well, it's interesting because all of the uses of those images, they're doing everything with them, but using them in a liturgical yes. setting, Yes, which is what the icons were used and are used as. They're liturgical uh, mediums, media. media yeah. They're not, yeah, they're not, um, they're not illustrative in the, in the, in the sense that, you know, you're, you've just got some pictures for the slideshow you've got some pictures to put in the children's books or uh yeah so that seems to be an interesting problem that they have there so they're not using them as liturgical media they get this incredible anxiety about whether or not they're doing it right <laughs> constantly constantly and then and then yeah. the, the next the next level is of course this is the brit the the brit you know britain of the empire and the there's several of these pictures um veldman says that they, they like everybody would have known them everybody would have seen them and the one that she uses on the cover of her book is the one i'm showing now and it's um it's it's jesus with children right so we're we're, mm -hmm. we're one we're moving into this problem of they're they're all anxious about how to educate the children 
in Christianity and realizing the children don't know the stories, but then they get very anxious about mm -hmm. scaring the children with stories like, I don't know, the crucifixion, but, but, but yeah. you know, yeah. the scaring children with the Old Testament stories. So there, there's a, there's a persistent refrain of you can't make Jesus, you need to make Jesus friendly so that the children want to, to be with him, but you can't make him mm. too, um, <clears throat> I, there, there's no way that it's like, as you're saying, there's no liturgical place for this, although this is happening, you know, presumably churches. And then because it's the empire, they're also now convicted, you know, convicted on like, how can, how, if you're portraying Jesus incarnate, do you portray him? Right. Do you, you know, we said he looks like a Chad mm. in this one. I mean, there's a lot, there's obviously a lot of complaint about this because he's trying to be shown as, you know, embracing children of the whole world. So we have children from all mm. continents, therefore Chinese and Indian and African and um, I guess Pacific Ocean. And then the, there's a- Brad, Brad Pitt, Jesus. The Brad, and, 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 then there, and then there's a little white girl on the side. And of course there's massive complaints about this because all of the children are looking at Jesus, except for the little white girl who is the same color as Jesus. And now we're, now we're in that level of, if you're trying to portray him yeah. physically, historically, accurately, then you have to deal with, oh gosh, race. <laughs> because this is of course yeah. the period when there are, the British are one in control of all of these regions, sort of, I guess China's dealing with the opium war and such. Um, and, that yes. that the, the empire is trying to represent itself as Christian, and what does that mean? Christ-like, Christ-like, right? Where are we going to go with Christ-like <laughs> on all of this? And then, and then they did. They do have one very, very famous picture, um, which is this um, Jesus at the doorway. Holman Hunt's Light mm -hmm. of the World, which is is so contentious, it goes through like three different versions. I think this is the version in Canterbury. Uh, sorry, in um, uh, yeah, where, where is that one now? It's in, it's the one in. Sorry, I've forgotten. It's the last one. It's the one on public display. There's one in Keble College where you can't see, and there's another one that he made that blah blah blah. Anyway, and this one apparently is if you asked Protestants by the late 19th century what jesus looked like it would be with this picture do, do you remember it i showed it to you um yeah i think i do it, it's it's jesus knocking at a door he's all illuminated he's holding this lantern oh he's, yes that he's, one he's that got one. a kind of liturgical cope on and a halo mm -hmm. and it's all very allegorical i mean holman hunt was trying, I mean, what's funny is he's trying to find a Protestant Jesus. And when he first did this painting, everybody hated it because they said it was too Catholic <laughs> or they said it was too mystical or they said it was too weird. By the end of the century, mm -hmm. it's like talking, we're talking about our, you know, if you're too far ahead of the curve, you just wait 30 years and people catch up eventually. By the end of the century, this was, everybody had a copy of this painting. It was, you know, if you had the, 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 they'd made prints of it, they'd sold, um, you know, copies that workers would have in their cottages and stuff. And here now is, I guess, the Jesus that we're going to try to be like, which is this kind of, well, chat, chat who's watching, right? Silent Draco is like, no savior, only sentiment remained. Kind of yes, right? 
one of the interesting responses to what happens with Holman Hunt's painting is people looked at Jesus's face in this and they said they're, they're constantly worried about Jesus being represented as too feminine. Mm. Hunt actually did use women as some of his models for this image, right? He had, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a composite image. It's a sort of blended face yeah. and people were picking up on the fact that he, he had, he has Rossetti um, as one of his models. So there's this blending of features on his face. And th the other effect was that Jesus forever after in English representations is going to be as Feldman keeps saying in a white nighty. Jesus, Jesus in his white nightgown, right? Thanks to <laughs> Holman Hunt painting him as he's trying to show him as, as the light, right? The, the you know, the, the light that bursts into the world, the light that comes to the door of the heart and knocks on it and wants to be let in and stuff. And, uh, you know, weirdly enough, what you end up with is Jesus forever after in, you know, English imagination <laughs> yeah. is, oh, well, I, I put the pictures in the wrong order. I was going to say, it's, there are not many steps before you arrive at the Mormon Jesus from that well, image. I suppose, right? I'll go back to that. Yes, it's 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 Jesus yeah. in the white nighty is the problem that at least in the English English Protestant world we seem to be faced with. It's like if you the, the only mm. one we can see, and every single time they make a television program or a movie, even Life of Brian, I'll get to that one in a second. Um, in the 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 English media. And it feeds over into the American media too. It it ends up with for the Protestants, he has to have this kind of ethereal character that's also incarnate, that's also not racial, that is racial, that is masculine, that is feminine. <laughs> Where now my next picture is our is our singer, oh, our singer, say, our that singer. Title sounds very very inclusive. I think very like a, a inclusivity neurosis. <laughs> Yes, the inclusivity neurosis is already playing out in the English representation of Jesus yeah. over and over and over again, right? Here's Ye holding his Bible again, squinting at it. I'm, I, this is becoming iconic for us, right? I like this this particular shot of, of Ye yeah. holding the Bible, squinting at it, saying, what do we see through this, right? What do we see it's through like this? It's, it's, it, he's, it is the icon for English speakers of we're constantly holding the book, saying that we should be able to look at the book, and see through the book to what? Hmm. The word. The word. Yeah. Everybody wants to see the word in the word. But the trouble is you can't see the word in the word without <clears throat> the church. <laughs> Well, I, for, for, I mean, a few reasons. I, ironically, we ended up all pet, perpetually offended, right? Which is the, uh, um, okay, it's like there's a, there's a, there's a, a visionary. My slides are not perfect tonight. I am failing on so many levels. I'm so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. Okay, go to the next one. That shame. shame. No, this everyone's going to Adam Smith you now. Well, I, I so I want to be I Failed. I want to be considered you know the brilliant professor who has all our slides in the right order and can and that there was some sound in the background that just distracted me and now I'm 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 cold and I'm it's like no forget it that the, the I will not risk offending the left the left is already offended <laughs> whether you would risk it or not 
I mean, we get we get there constantly, right? It's like I'm not I'm not gonna I go back to yay looking through at Jesus, right? I, you know, I'm not gonna say this thing that offends anybody because I'm desperately worried about oh, like we'll go back in time, back to back through yay to Holman Hunt to Jesus with the children of the world. Like it, it seems like we're nothing. We're in nothing but Smithian shame shame wars. Yes. Over who Jesus yes. should be, whether we should you know believe in him, whether we should talk about him, how can we talk about him? It's exhausting. <laughs> it is. There's a f- the, yeah. The uh, interesting. Okay, so I'm thinking the the imagery the imagery that the English have divorced from the liturgical practice of the Catholic Church has become a battleground over hurt feelings, mm-hmm. really, which is the Smithian problem of the, the sentiments of morality, right? So it's like uh, an empire running on sentiments. <laughs> but this this is interesting because that's not historical either. So they're looking at Christ through their own sentiment. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And yeah. Which is interesting because <coughs> they're going to impose themselves on the icons that they're creating. They're writing themselves into this icon. Yes, constantly. And this, this, the what would Jesus do question becomes, I mean, I, so I, I was thinking about this as a. It's like AI. It's ah. like this created AI Jesus. <laughs> like, this is what you, so, so like the, so the, the, this English Christ anti-Catholic that is in white robe is like, the English Protestant AI Jesus. This is like the version of Christ that they've created, just like AI imagery. It's like it's like AI art, only it's like Adam Smith world creates Christ. Mind blown. <laughs> That's the image that came into my head as you've described all of this. And I go, oh, that explains why I hated not Christ, but I just couldn't stand the the vibe of Christianity, like mm. the organized churches. And when I went through my super Protestant phase where I was like, it's all horrible because it was all very Anglican. <laughs> so that explains it. Well, you would have gotten all of this kind of thing. This is what Feldman shows in her book, that these are the images that then show up in all the Sunday school teaching, all the lantern slide lectures, yeah, 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 yeah. all of the prints, right? They're making prints to make this like the Holman hunt I have back on screen um, is out there. Everybody knows it. It becomes, it becomes iconic in the, the reproduction sense mm. that, that it it's, you know, mechanically reproduced the Walter Benjamin thing. It's, yeah, it's it, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's the Gutenberg version of an icon. Mm-hmm. You just keep going bang, 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 bang. So why is everyone worried about AI art when we've already been doing it with Christ for like how many hundred years? <laughs> well, the photography, I mean, I mean this certain... isn't handwritten. Go ahead. But it's not, it's not a handwritten icon. 
well, certain there... we're mass reproducing right. this uh, Smithian vision of uh, of Christ Christianity or Smithian vision of Christ. We've already been doing it. I, I, I'm glad you're saying. I've been thinking that too with the AI stuff because the more it, it's it's participating in this reproduction that's discarnate, right? That on the one hand yeah. they're they're worrying about how to portray Jesus without losing the awe and the majesty, but on the other they want there's there's this British empiricism that uh, plays out in in all of mm -hmm. it that they what they desperately want to make sure that he is historically accurate in um, his representations. So that then they go back and forth about whether or not he should look Jewish, and 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 what Jewish mm. means to them to the British in the nineteenth century is, we went to the we went to Palestine, <laughs> took photographs of all of the locations and people there, brought back samples of costumes and such, and painted that mm. right. I I, I Hunt Holman Hunt um, also does a um, it does another. I didn't put these in the slides fail um so, so a, a number of other images that are likewise sort of typo, typological and and symbolic but he went to the holy land the the palestine to palestine i'm not sure they think of it as the holy land they think of palestine he goes to palestine to take photographs of like the dead sea so you do the scapegoat picture there he you know does the the Jesus as carpenter and he, you know, does his model is a man that he, he sees there. So they're, they're doing all of this for your hyper-realistic representation mm. because British scholarship feels like the best way to prove the reality of, of Jesus, interestingly, as the Christ is to do this hyper historical truth that their, their, their scholarship enables them to do. If or it doesn't, I mean, they mm -hmm. keep they keep you know convincing themselves that it didn't work quite, or it did, or I, I I the book taught me a lot about the problem of sentimentality and the empirical tradition, and so the problem therefore what what happens when you're trying to imagine Jesus through these new media that we're dealing with. So I was laughing because I just you described this weird schizophrenia. It's the British schizophrenia. I hype empirical they need to measure everything and yeah they're addicted to sentiment <laughs> and they think they're rational and actually they're in their fields <laughs> it's very funny so they're putting this onto the faith and saying no 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 we've measured it here's the here's the proof it looks real because it looks like the place that we visited and took photos of uh discarding <laughs> I'm sorry my brain's hurting discarding 2000 years of iconography inside the the apostolic churches that are practicing lit liturgies with these icons you know living media of of worship of Christ that's got to go but we'll go to Palestine and take some photographs and then that that will be the the most accurate uh, that's how how do people not see how like the world didn't enjoy being colonized by England? <laughs> I'm like, 
Well, I to be fair to you know, <laughs> I took me like... it took me a while to get it. I mean, it's like, but but the English we bring we know, we I'm... we bring all this great stuff like the English language. I still like the English language, and we're still using it in our poetry. But um, you know, it's it, it's the going back to my Norman England problem, right? That the Normans, why who couldn't like the Normans in the long run? They you know that they they bring you all of this good government. The doomsday, oh, the yeah. doomsday book. I mean, it's literally from the beginning. The, in in my medieval England class, we're reading Michael Woods' In Search of England. I, I may have mentioned that in previous streams. You know, new people welcome. That um, that we're reading Michael Woods' In Search of England, and one of the essays he starts with is the um, it's the Norman yoke, right? Whether or not the Normans were mm. in fact the you know evil oppressors, or whether um you know they were the the they brought administration and law and you know good order and such to the saxons who you know have none of it and um you know i'm i'm i tend to be on the anglo-saxon sides but the hilarity of that is of course the anglo-saxons were both conquerors and conquered constantly too so there's 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 not easy good guys on any of these sides but yeah. the 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 imperial claim for england has always been you know we're the ones that bring law we, we've got the good law, right? And that's that'll be the way that they talk yeah. about um, India with sati, like we talked about last time. And, you yeah. know, just generically, colonial, if you're colonized by England, you're going to have this social structure brought to you and it will be more, I guess, industrial, industrially efficient. And, the, and th that claim mm -hmm. goes back in some fashion to the claim that the Normans brought good governance to. So this is absorbed into that. This 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 Norman good governments is absorbed into the machinery of England somehow. It's it's. Uh... Oh, well, here's an irony. You'll like this. The only t the only the the way that England becomes England, as opposed to a variety of kingdoms, you know, Northumbria, mm. Wessex, Kent, Mercia, and stuff. You realize it's it's only actually like identifiable as this place called England that someone can be king of in act in sort of stable terms after it's conquered by Canute the Dane, <laughs> and you could say mm -hmm. the, the the Norman and then the Normans come along a generation later that the Normans conquer England becomes basically a province of their mini empire right of Normandy, mm. and so England itself is the creation of being conquered if that makes sense it does but prior to that it has much more local identifications and rulers and then once it's conquered and absorbed into this big administrative structure you know it's true then the normans are in fact mm. they create england in that sense because they create it as a, mm. a region that you can survey put in the book doomsday book and say you know this is its product this is its productive capacity is what William does. So it, it's it's gained its identity by incorporation into a bureaucracy. Yep. Fascinating. <laughs> okay, so we've got to be I'm going to recap. So we got a bureaucratic machine country and it incorporates this place Gains an identity 
by being incorporated into bureaucracy and then cut forward they completely get rid of catholicism <laughs> and then they decide to use the economic theory of this guy who was in his fields completely and decided that <laughs> you could trust everyone would know the right way to behave the short version i suppose is that yeah I mean, well, I, I like I have to, I have to create like a little snippet just to, because this is how I find the ridiculousness in, in these things. You know, it's like, okay, that all sounds really good, but now we get to the problem of uh, the whole world being run on bureaucracy. Yes, with and feels bureaucracy and feels. So that makes sense. That explains the world we're living in now. <laughs> Feelings and bureaucracy and AI English Jesus. That now we're just getting rid of completely because it's like the sentiment, the sentimentality is even like disappearing. You know, the need to sort of say we're Christ-like empire, we're Christian. Well, but it does, it does, it does show why in the English context, it's so hard to, to answer that question, right? Christ-like mm -hmm. is... I mean, and, and and the English the English wrestled with this as Feldman shows, you know, throughout the Victorian period into the to the twentieth century, with um, is Christ like masculine? Is it feminine? Can you be masculine? They have big debates over you know, like how can you portray him masculine in a masculine fashion? But then oh, you don't want to be scary to the kids, and so they 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 flip back and forth in their efforts. I mean, never go. I mean, and she purposefully in her book didn't deal with the Catholic representations of Christ. I mean, I I had this. This is blown. I, I've talked about you know. I don't know where to go now, right? Because I had always thought you know Lewis <laughs> Lewis and Tolkien. I mean, all of us Americans looking back. Oh, look, Lewis and Tolkien. They're there. They've you know got this strong you know Christianity. You got Lewis. Lewis is doing his mere Christianity. Um, lectures on the radio around the same time that Sayers did that radio play, right? So the BBC is doing all of mm -hmm. this religious broadcasting in the 40s, and that's where those both Mere Christianity and, and Sayers play come out of that effort to educate England in, in, in being Christian, because as far as everybody's concerned, nobody is, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so ironically, you know, Lewis, Lewis and his his great lectures that many people enjoy now was preaching in a context in which they were really worried. How would you educate the nation mm -hmm. as Christians? Um, and then Tolkien writing his great stories and, you know, it's brought so many people to Catholicism. They're doing it in a bit of a desert mm. of culture. Although, you know, it's like yeah, everybody's they're, reading they're... these Bibles, illustrated kids Bibles and stuff, but, and, the children are all going to Sunday school and apparently enjoying it, but nobody seems to know what Christianity is. Yeah, they're not preaching to the choir. They're preaching to the bureaucracy. Bureaucracies don't need religion. Well, they do need... They need administration yeah. and they need... Um, measurement. They need social norms, but they don't need religion. Because you're not seeking mystical experience within the bureaucracy. Right. 
Yes. In fact, that would be bad for the bureaucracy. <laughs> well, they seem they, they, they hurt the status quo. They seem to worry uh, uh, in some of the discussions, like when they start doing the radio plays and such, it's whether or not he sounds right or it's should he sound Bible. Sayers' play is very. It, it, she, I mean, she's a great writer, so she gets a kind of nice balance between sounding King James version, but it's the King James version. It's a bureaucratic mm. Bible. It's the, 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 mm. the king has said, this is the version of the Bible that the English will use back in 1611. And if you're reading the King James Bible, you're already reading this bureaucratic production of, of the scripture. Um, and then by the mm. 20th century, they're worrying about sounding scripture, but also being historically incarnate which they then get upset about and we back in we're back in the cycle of you know you offend everybody <laughs> but it's just a, i will not risk offending the left I, it's like uh i mean it is interesting but the right in there too going it, well it's like everybody's talking about jesus is perpetually offended in, in you know anyway and so my next my own little meme is the how it started how it end how it's going and how it started is with Holman Hunt trying to do this light of the world, which I actually, I don't like it as a painting. It's interesting, but I don't like it for the wrong, you know, the reasons that, I mean, I like that it's sort of typological and he's knocking at the door and there's scripture verses on it. And it's, it's somehow trying to represent Christ as priest a little bit because he's got the vestments on and such. Um, but I dislike it for the reasons that I guess other people, I don't know, whatever, but it started with Hunt and it ended up with their life of Brian. You know, we ended up with the Monty Python troupe making this parody that doesn't actually directly parody Jesus, but is basically where people were with, well, if we want to make this historically accurate version, isn't it actually a commentary on our own social difficulties or about making jokes about Romane Ite Domum? <laughs> Right? The, the Latin oh, yeah, lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, implicitly that Jesus was just this ordinary guy, ordinary guy every day, right? That bumbled into getting crucified. Mm. Silent Draco says, English Christianity, clean, orderly, punctual, station master Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keeps the, you know, the railroad Jesus. Measured out so Auntie Petunia will buy copies for all the kitties. Yes, very much so. So it's weird because it's like, you know, they're trying to bring Christian education to the kitties, but on the other hand, incapable mm -hmm. of having a Jesus that does anything that might... Childlike. Yeah. So, so no, we're kind I, of in a conundrum it, 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 right now. It's, it's like if everybody's worried, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the contest that Ye is having with his dad is within this English-speaking context, it's like, what's Christ-like? What's Christ-like? You're not Christ-like. You're not nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> not be good. Be nice. But it is, it is typically, I mean, it's, it's polite. It's nice. It's... Um, you have some more wine now. <laughs> oh man, you're making me want to drink. I feel like I'm in England. <laughs> I've never well, been I, there. I, I have, and, and, and tea, tea is very nice there. My English husband and I, you know, import, have it imported specially by Tetley's. Um, 
the drug of choice of the empire tea and sugar oh yeah <laughs> yeah tetley's <laughs> we got lipton we don't tetley's is around for a while lipton lipton's a little bit bitter i always see the english cannot yeah. stay on topic <laughs> we end up we end up yeah. being being about be how to be polite and neighborly Well, that goes against the problem with, uh, see, now that's interesting. Okay. So we start out talking about e-duchies and the etiquette in the e-duchies. Mm -hmm. Now we're on English politeness and the niceties of the English speaking world. But the internet's not really, how shall I say, functioning <laughs> in a, in an English way, at least the internet that I'm in or the, the e-duchies that I enjoy. I mean, you know, I told I told everyone I'm, I'm quite nasty sometimes. Right. But no, but I think, I think this fun. is the, the I'm not nice though. And I, I have not enjoyed I have not enjoyed the uh actually nasty is probably the wrong word. But the e duchy the nice e duchies I don't like. <laughs> no, the 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 the, the white Jesus and the white ninety um duchies. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly yeah white white nighty white nighty christ like i don't i don't enjoy that <laughs> you know uh our poor mormon friend i gave him so much um yeah so i don't like that so now this is interesting this is okay so we've got the the english world imposing a bureaucratic mentality on their ai white white nighty jesus <laughs> what are we doing with our really this is this is you know the, the autocrats of the e-duchies are, are making them in their own image and i'm thinking ah oh, this is beginning to make a lot of sense to me now especially with regards to our chats because we get into so much trouble when everyone says oh i thought this was a christian chat you say yeah it is they say oh why are you behaving like this why are you using these words why are you posting this what are you doing i'm having fun <laughs> Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. This isn't Christ-like. So he, I don't like bureaucratic environments. I, I clearly, I don't like the bureaucratic clearly. But, but the thing is, I think there's, there's also something it's, it's saying there's something missing from our sense. We do need to know how to behave as, at, and, and like there's disarticulation where we have, a, there's a sort of, this is kind of part one setting out in tonight's episode, the problem that we're wrestling with. We have, we are moving mm. to a part two, which suggests a, a sort of another layer of the problem, I think, which may or may not be an answer. You guys, this is going to be multi-episode. It's like, this is a mini series, just like the Jesus of Nazareth that I is <laughs> actually, I'm sorry to say the Jesus of Nazareth, definitely when it was only two episodes, right? Or it was, no, it was more than maybe two. It was four. I'm sure it was. It, it's yeah. It was like little parts. Like acts. yeah, yeah. So now we're in the streaming world. We're making mini series about Jesus. Perfect. <laughs> but also that it's it's. I I'm I'm happy where we've gotten to now. Realizing this, how to behave like Christians, it is. I mean, what? Okay, it's fundamentally a question. It's the good part of if we're talking about how to be, you know, the beautiful in our poetry and the truth. And the logos and the and the the understanding, but we do need to know how to behave, and 
it's incredibly difficult to unpack because everybody it's like and and saying why why don't open borders work mm. um every, it, people have and this is not quite where i wanted to go but just think about it why don't open borders work in the adam smithian way well one everybody's not going to behave the same way they're not going to and what no. culture is is these expectations of behavior and saying whether or not you're christian is often saying why aren't you behaving with the manners that I expect from mm. polite interaction. So you're making me uncomfortable, failure of sentiment, because you are either saying things that I find difficult to hear or being nasty. And and we haven't really, we're not really very good in even in the e-world or even in our thinking of disentangling all of those different reactions. It's just like, you made me feel uncomfortable and sad. And, and, and you shouldn't behave that way. I'm going to shame you. I have, to, I'm spurging now. <laughs> I have to check the etymology of nasty. I'm sorry. Okay. It's good. Go I've, I, I'm, I know I'm breaking internet etiquette because I'm not looking at the camera or you. Okay. Oh, I like this. Sometimes one. I read, you know, so that's okay. <laughs> I no, but I was really spurging because I hate, I hate miss. Uh, I hate using the wrong word. Nasty, late 14th century, nasty, foul, filthy, dirty, unclean, literally or figuratively a word of un okay, uncertain origin. Mm. Something about Old Norse from Nazcog, dirty or nasty. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> I like, see how important it is, nasty. precision in our language. This is, this is, this mm. is the, the poetic impulse. We must speak, we well, must speak well in order to speak accurately. I don't like nice because I read years ago that nice actually comes from the Latin, which means uh, ignorant. It's connected to the word for ignorance mm. in Latin, apparently. So I never liked being called nice because I always thought it was a passive aggressive way of <laughs> saying that I was ignorant. Um, I, well, so it, it's different. It has real force well. in England saying that's nice in England is a horrible insult. Um, so it's like there's there's oh, there's nice. a kind of actually I saw this. There was a, a a a parallel meme thing. Maybe I can find it. I will now look at my 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 thing because I think I do it. I, do I, it. Let's spurg. We're let's we're spurg. spurging out in in misbehaving on the internet. <laughs> oh look, I found. Okay, so because I sent it to my husband and I just found it in our Shameless messages. Spurging. What shameless spurging was the key to fixing this? Culture. Yes, maybe this is it. Now we are going to shamelessly spurg and, and trace all of these lineages. What the British say compared with what the British mean, what foreigners understand, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So what the British say, I, I hear what you say, what the British mean. I disagree and do not want to discuss it further. What foreigners understand, he accepts my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the British say, with the greatest respect, what the British mean, you're an idiot. What foreigners understand, he is listening to me. <laughs> so there's there's all of this that's not bad that's good that's poor uh not bad it's like, that is what the british say that is a very brave proposal what the british mean you're insane what foreigners understand he thinks i have courage <laughs> <laughs> so it's like we all i mean we make jokes about this right and, and of course monty python was brilliant at playing off of this anxiety always mm -hmm. of they are, you know, you're terrified of being embarrassed, being shamed, 
So you can, you've developed these locutions and the, you know, I know how, I, I know how these work. One, because as I said many times now, my husband is British. I've lived in both England and Wales, but I think also in the kind of American folkways expectations, a lot of this still is recognizably Southern to me, right? Bless mm-hmm. your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it's yeah. like they're, they're it's like we're, we're 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 straight up old world politeness while you are you know got the knives out destroying someone's um reputation without actually being mean or something right it the mm. the the the, the this i mean everybody knows on the on the internet now it's like you southerners saying bless your heart <laughs> <laughs> aren't you a stupid person for thinking is that, is that worse or better than i'll pray for you i i think i'll pray for you can be used innocently right i think i think people okay. really do mean it when they say that it's it's like no i think i'll pray for you is not meant people here i'll pray for you as you're hopeless but <laughs> but I, I i don't think that's necessarily what it means i think that their nuance matters a lot right whereas bless your heart is specifically <laughs> meant to say gosh you're stupid and i'm not going to call you on it that's the dumbest thing i ever heard <laughs> so <just> dumb. <laughs> bless your heart <laughs> I mean, all right. So, you know, it's like the, 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 see, we need more courtesy in the internet world because one, it's more fun than the, the low, the low key, the low tier level of, of insult that people tend to be using. And obviously if you're around Brits mm-hmm. enough, right, they're going to be saying, uh, what the British say, very interesting. What the British mean. Oh, yeah. That is clearly nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> foreigners understand they are impressed. Um, <laughs> this is what, what the British say. I'm sure it's my fault. What the British mean? It's your fault. What foreigners understand. Why did they think it was their fault? We're gonna have to have part three on this episode because we're gonna, baffled, we're, baffled we're, by British men. Yeah, well, no, we're just we're just we're just dying them. of of the white the Jesus and the white knighting is in fact completely, yes. completely accurately portrayed. You Adam Smith to death. At, but but I'd say the Southerners, I mean, Southern Americans get it somewhat because the Presbyterian Adam Smithian ministers carried it into my world right it's uh, it's that we're yeah. presbyterian but we're southern presbyterian and therefore we do know how to like avoid it absolutely all costs being embarrassed having you know the, the, failing in your social performance um you know uh not being a good hostess all of that right it's like they're they're exquisite rules that are slightly different from the British. So they get upset with us. Maybe could be, um, but as finely tuned as the, the, the British expectations. Mm. Yeah. I have to make comparisons, although it's difficult because I grew up in migrant communities. So I think I'm socially retarded. (laughs) 
In many ways, I think I am. Because I had to adjust to different rules all the time. And the people that I grew up with didn't have those same kind of... <laughs> yeah. Uh... Passive-aggressive ways of communicating. Um, they were blunt. I'm not really sure if that's because all Greeks are blunt, but those particular generations of Greeks were blunt mm. because they had to be because they were dealing with second language acquisition and um, trying not to assimilate into Anglo culture as well. Like they really did not want to become Anglos. They had Greek schools kids went to learn Greek at Greek schools after they'd been to Greek schools, you know, like it was, uh, then there wasn't a lot of English around at the time. So yeah, maybe that, maybe that's contributed to it, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm used to more forceful and honest appraisals of people's behavior mm. and instant feedback for that. Well, so you would take, um, Inigo Matoya's yeah. technique as approved. <laughs> For... Oh yeah, that's the best. <laughs> I posted that. I had to. I found it, and I was like, this "Oh is, god, this, this is beautiful." So, so the, 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 the basic level of networking, right? Networking one hundred and one. We say um, mm. Inigo's guide to networking success, and of mm. course, we we use the the approved uh, phrase. Hello, my name is Inigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And 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 it, being that he's Spanish, right? He has great courtesy, and he he has everything appropriately um, marked for you. So um, first, polite greeting. Hello. Um, give your name. My name is Enrico Montoya. Relevant personal link. <laughs> <laughs> so, establish some kind of relationship. You killed my father. Okay. Um, man, and then there's manage expectations. That's the best. Prepare to die. Right. It's not going to get better for you. It's, no. It's, well, <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> and he's very lovable. See, you don't shame that. That's very lovable. He's very straightforward. He's also he's Spanish, man, too. If he's Spanish, <laughs> he's probably also Catholic. Oh, though we're not really going with that because it's you know it's a this fairy tale version of something or other that's. Um, yeah, but he's still Catholic. He's still got to be Catholic, right? He's got to be Catholic. Well, are we going to be saved by Catholicism? This is this is our <clears throat> our part two of 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 tonight's. Um, Exercise. Everybody's going to spurg because they'll be like, you're, you're proposing we're going to get saved by another ism. So mm. it sounds like we're proposing yet another football team or an ideological solution to everything, Fair. which we are not. Because, well, you know, this is the, uh, this is the chattering that I can already hear er erupt mm. amongst the, the Protestant edachis. Uh, um, but it's not an ism that we're proposing, uh, as much as it is a return to iconography within a liturgical context, which is to me Catholic, which has a flow on effect in how we deal with the rest of life, just like people programming AI, you know, um, yes, but alas, we've got a few more steps to get to before we get to the <laughs> 
I spoke. <laughs> no, I did it in an ego, Montoya. Sorry. <laughs> no, but but the thing is, so I, you know, I you know personally that I, I I'm delighted that you know that about the liturgy and that we're trying to get people there. But you know, I think that there there is to be fair on our other side. Now we've spent you know an hour and some time making fun of Protestants, or at least the Anglican version of them. Yes. Um, do we do we have not a, a, a sort of corresponding difficulty in the Catholic context of what it means to behave like Christians, or sort of wh wh where are we getting these these norms of behavior? And I, I did a little bit of research. Um, oh, so here actually, so Tiso, I was like, what would Jesus do, right? Here's the view from the cross, and we it's like, we're get, if we're going to get yeah. to that liturgical place, maybe we, we have to get there. But if we can go into a different version of looking at Jesus's behavior, where would we go? And I did, I did this um, after teaching you all how to blow your nose last week. Um, <laughs> got curious about where that came from because it's um Jean-Baptiste LaSalle's me, I just burped. no so I know bad. it's like I, I I've, I've been my I've been burping and giggling and <clears throat> we're so rude we would never pass the rules of you know <laughs> good behavior of Christian civility promulgated by that great teacher of children here he is in a in a 1910 um, foundation, Jean Baptiste Saint Jean Baptiste de La Salle. Now, when I was last week reading his very long passage on how to blow your nose in great detail, and you know, if you're children, you need to to learn these details. Did not appreciate that uh, one. It was written by a saint, so there you go. <laughs> um, and two, it's written by a very interesting saint who founded schools for children. So this guy should be mm -hmm. right up there with our absolute heroes in the Christian world because he was in fact born an aristocrat, but is is you know recognized as a saint because of his many you know um, gifts that he gave to Christ Christianity. One was the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools. It's a massive worldwide order of Christian lay education. Um, so going back to, mm -hmm. you know, our earlier picture with Jesus with surrounded by the children of the world, LaSalle actually did it. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't just paint a picture and envision himself as, you know, teaching all the children of the world. The, the um, LaSalle order has schools. And if you look up on the Wikipedia entry, it's very impressive. They're all over Africa. They're all over Asia. They're all over. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. Even the United States. And there's one in Chicago and I got, you know, down the rabbit hole on this one, got it. Our mayors, <laughs> before they were Lori Lightfoot, right? The Dailies apparently all went to this school because it's a Catholic school. Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's hope. Maybe there, there's actually hope for finding a Christian civilization. Interestingly, well, <laughs> it, it, it's curious, right? The, the, his rules were first published in 1703. The one I was showing you is a 1708 printing but you can find you know the full french version on wikipedia on wikipedia on google books um i was looking at a uh, i've got a english translation that was more recently made by brothers of the institute right um the lasallian mm -hmm. sources so here is a um when was it given it's translated from the 1703 edition 1990 right this 
little handbook on Christian behavior. How to be, you know, what do they translate it as? The rules of Christian decorum and civility. So it's not sentiment. It's, it's actually civility. So we want to be civilized. We're going to live by these rules. Um, went through 45 editions through 1875. It, it, it sort of became the handbook of how to behave like a Christian for Catholics in the same period in which we were talking about the problem with the white 90 Jesus developing in Victorian mm -hmm. England, right? So we're looking at exact contemporaries. So it's the same feeling across the, across the, uh, denominational, uh, chasm. It seems like everybody's, everybody has the same, uh, anxiety. Yeah. Like civilized behavior. And that's why it was in Norbert Elias's book, because it's this, it's like, um, climax of these etiquette handbooks. And, and then you have, it's published in 1703, reprinted throughout the 17th, the 18th and 19th centuries, still, you know, potentially, I guess, used, I mean, this, this translation I've got was, um, it's Lasallian publication sponsored by the Regional Conference of Christian Brothers of the United States of America in Toronto, Canada. Um, the editorial board is all brothers. Translators were brothers. I'm assuming that means they're teachers in the schools, right? Lasallian publication sponsored by the Regional Conference of Christian Brothers of the United States of America and of Toronto, Canada. Lasallian publications will produce volumes on the life writings and work of Jean-Baptiste de Lasalle, founder of the Brothers of the Christian Schools and on the early history of the Brothers. So it is actually, I mean, just like the English were worried in the 19th century about how to teach children to behave like Christians. Mm. We have the Lasallian Christian Brothers trying to set up all these schools and to say that these, I, I, I mean, it's, I find it embarrassing, right? Because I'm, I'm a new Catholic. I'm not necessarily grown up in all these schools. Um, that our, our concentration is often on the Jesuits as the great schoolmasters of Catholicism, but mm. they're teaching mainly at the university level, in my imagination. I mean, I know all these Jesuit universities, right? Loyola in mm. Chicago or, um, well, Loyola everywhere, right? <laughs> that those are universities, whereas these schools, like the LaSalle, high, the LaSalle School here is a high school. So people are going to presumably learn how to behave like Christians in these schools. Presumably. <laughs> well, and then, and then you're saying, say, how much, you know, what do we, how do we behave like Christians? What can we disarticulate this? We're making fun of Adam Smith boring about being shamed all the time, right? If you're shamed, yeah. then you're not lovely. And then you're just shamed, right? He doesn't, he doesn't set it up as, he sets it up as a theory of moral sentiments and that morality dissociated from religion necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole completely different ca catastrophe. Mel says St. John Baptiste pray for us. Yes. Well, okay. So what I, so, I, I, I've, I've not grown up with this handbook, but I skimmed through it. I know how to blow my nose now, um, which I didn't do because I didn't have, it didn't keep my handkerchief. What I, I realized in looking through the, the translation was it's not really Christian. 
for the most part. Or it's, it's, it's worrying about things that I think this is, you know, we're in this problem of, um, like daily behavior with each other in our e-duchy context or in our, like, what does it mean to be Christ? Like, what does it mean to behave? And the rules of Christian decorum and civility begin with part one, the modesty you must show in your deportment and in the care of the various parts of your body, which mm. is why we had the blowing your nose section, right? It's like, you know, deportment and care of your head, ears, hair, face, forehead, eyebrows, and cheeks, eyes and glances, the nose in the manner of blowing your nose and sneezing, the mouth, lips and teeth, speech and pronunciation, yawning, spitting and coughing, the back, shoulders, arms and elbows, hands, fingers and nails, the parts of the body that must be covered, the knees, legs and feet. All of these deportment, right, actually physically, I mean, there's an there's an incarnate element beautifully to it, but mm -hmm. it's... Um, yeah, I mean, so very specifically, I don't know, what did I, I was more interested in part two, which I'll tell you about in a second, right? But um, yeah, if you wish to have a distinguished appearance and be esteemed because of the modesty that marks you as a wise and well-behaved person, remember, this is for boys in school. <laughs> mm -hmm. You must learn to control your body in the way prescribed by nature or by custom. You must avoid, for this reason, several defects in the way you carry yourself the first of these defects, which is an affectation and a constraint, makes you appear awkward. This is entirely opposed to decorum and to the norms of modesty. You must also avoid the kind of negligent attitude that betrays slovenliness and indolence in your conduct, and it would expose you to contempt because it indicates a meanness of spirit as well as low birth and poor education. You ought also to be very careful not to let anything flighty appear in your being, bearing, for this might indicate you are frivolous. If your mind is naturally flighty and heedless, and if you wish to avoid falling into this defect or to correct yourself of it, you must pay attention not to move a single part of your body without attention to what you're doing and to move only with due restraint. <laughs> I'm out. Well, I've been, I realize I've been flailing around in this episode a lot. And clearly, you know, it's like, this makes me not Christian. If your temperament is fiery and hasty, you must watch over yourself carefully. Never act without great moderation. Always think before doing anything and keep your body as much as possible tranquil and steady. Although you ought not to cultivate any artificial poses, you must nonetheless learn to control all your movements and to regulate properly the deportment of all parts of your body. This is something that must be carefully taught to children. You realize, yes, if you grew up with yes. this... Oh my God, this is so triggering. <laughs> <laughs> the more you read this, the more I want to move. I'm going to keep going to see what she does. Yeah. No, don't do it. I had to train myself to stare at this camera throughout this podcast without moving. I was literally sitting on my hands for the first two episodes. Then I realized I could get away with moving my hands. The more you say, I can't move my body. Oh the more I want to move it. It's really, really very, very badly triggering. I would have failed. <laughs> no deportment. No deportment whatsoever. It's actually really uncomfortable to hear it. <laughs> Keep going if you need no, to. No, I mean, I think I've made my point, right? It's like, he's, that's, that's where the blow, this section is where the blowing your nose thing came from. It's all about, I mean, I think there's, you know, you have to hold your head proper manner. Um, Right, but, but things like, uh, <laughs> that, that he said, okay, 
I'll keep reading. This is layered down in the same section. In a person's deportment, there must always be something sedate, even majestic. You ought to take care, however, that there is nothing in this to suggest pride or arrogance of spirit, for such attitudes greatly displease everyone. What will produce the sedateness is the simple modesty and wisdom that as a Christian you display in all your conduct. You are truly of noble birth, which should give you a clue here, right? <laughs> for you belong to Jesus Christ and are a child of God, the supreme being. Hence, in your exterior, there ought to be nothing vulgar. Everything in you ought to denote a certain air of nobility and greatness, a reflection of the power and majesty of God, <laughs> whom you serve and who gave you being. This dignified appearance ought not to flow from arrogance or lead you to prefer yourself to others. Every Christian wishing to act according to the laws of the gospel ought to show honor and respect to all others, considering them as children of God and brothers of Jesus Christ, and himself as one burdened with sin for which he must constantly humble himself, placing himself beneath everyone else. I told I told you who LaSalle was. I'll go back to him for a second, right? I, I do I do actually have my Wikipedia open so I can you know read from my Wikipedia. LaSalle was born to a wealthy family in Reims, in France, in 1651. He was the eldest child of Louis de LaSalle and Nicole Mouet de Bruyere. Nicole's family was one a noble one and ran a very successful winery business. Ooh. She was a relative of Claude Mouet, founder of Mouet et Chedon. Uh, we could drink champagne. Here we go. Ooh. Cheers. <laughs> I need a glass now. <laughs> um, he actually was tonsured at age 11. They expected him to enter the church can but blah blah he was noble hmm. and he but he opened i mean he's considered a saint because he opened schools for the poor but he's he's trying to ennoble them <laughs> he's written his own culture into the the program yeah. e-dutchies <laughs> e <-dutchies. laughs> he's 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 the de la salle the de la salle he's trying to ennoble all of these poor children i mean it's there's christianity in that and that's he's like contesting the social class and and the distinctions there which the english were actually very concerned about in the 19th century they're very concerned about making sure that the sunday schools are free and open to the the working classes and such like that but the mm -hmm. you know i that, that i realized in working through both of these it's so much of we think of as Christian behavior is folded into what we think of as aristocratic behavior, which is what Norbert Elias was actually doing in that study of the etiquette. He was he was showing the way in which the nobility trained themselves to behave in certain ways. And therefore, if you want to be considered in that passage, I just read you, LaSalle is saying, De LaSalle, whichever he is, um, you, uh, mm -hmm. if you want to be considered noble, you're Christian, you're going to behave well, you're going to be, you know, carry yourself well. Most of what his etiquette book is about is um, court behavior. Mm. Mimicking the aristocracy. Right. Mm. Which is interesting. Because then... Which just keep there, going. There is sense there. Well, there's they're saying that the working class etiquette is inadequate. Yes. Which is another problem. 
because that is kind of a reflection of their judgment on their own subjects as aristocrats. They're disgusting. Yeah. And this, I, I remembered yeah. this just, so in the, so after the, the man born to be king, after Sayer's radio show on, in, um, okay, when did they, they broadcast it? Uh, in the 40s. Why can't I remind you? I can't find that. Anyway, they follow it with um, The Life of Christ Interlude, which is a weekly show. And it becomes, it's like broadcast so that more more children are hearing this than like anything else. And and it, it, there's, you're saying bureaucratic, there's a Butler Education mm -hmm. Act of 1944 and the subsequent Education Scotland Act of 1946. This legislation for the first time ever mandated that schools begin every school day with a corporate act of Christian worship. So it's not actually until the 40s they make this mm. official in, in the schools. And in England and Wales, for the first time, required classes in religious knowledge, which she comments, a misnomer as the intent was clearly classes of Christian knowledge. And they use this um, Life of Christ interlude, but this, this is very fascinating with what we're talking about with LaSalle. Like the man born to be king, the Life of Christ interlude was a product of World War II. Specifically, the wartime evacuation of children, as well as pregnant women and mothers of young children from congested urban districts. The resulting mm. collision and combustion of regional identities, rural and urban sensibilities, class expectations and perceptions, and bureaucratic yeah. stupidities created, quote, the scandal <laughs> of the evacuees in both the media and popular yeah. consciousness. The stories are legion. The children who defecated in the corner of the drawing room. <laughs> the little boy who was gobsmacked to discover there were people so wealthy they had special clothes just to sleep in. The girl who wrote home, quote, they call this spring mum and they have one down here every year. Wow. Yep. And then they find out, they talk to the kids and the children don't know Christ Christianity, so they need to educate them, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is, we could tell different versions of the story. It's like, the, you know, Christianity is a constant desire for education, which is one thing. But the yeah. the, the sort of, what would Jesus do? The behavior, what counts as Christian? I mean, we're, we're dealing with this right now in, you know, your culture, my, Australia, America, right? The, the, yeah. the, the class uh, clashes in behavior and, you know, the, 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 I obviously as a Southerner, because I know, bless your heart, you're misbehaving that, there's the you know the the strong hierarchical class expectation is playing out in very interesting ways here too because when people are saying you mm. know people are misbehaving i usually hear the class um categories which my husband whose english tells me i can't because i'm american and we have no class but the south does and the race oh, the do. racial disparities are interestingly yeah. Overlaid with class class expectations and distinctions. I think I I like yeah. Ye so much because he actually makes sense to me because Chicago blacks speak Southern. They make sense. Yeah. They know how to behave as gent ladies and gentlemen because of the 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 social expectations of politeness that come from the South. You have a shared cultural. History. We have a shared cultural history. Yeah. 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 Which 
Yeah, we, we would we would seem very impolite to people in Chicago. Well, possibly, but we're also good at, I mean, the Chicago, we're also good at navigating, bless your heart, um, uh, failures of etiquette because you you don't want to you don't want to draw attention to anybody's failure of etiquette because that makes them sad and embarrassed so here the 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 one the yeah. one place and i i found this like entertaining and delightful the one place where lasalle actually seemed to be drawing on a bible story for his teaching in it was of all of the stories right it's like class guess which one it is the visitation <laughs> And if, okay, this, this, it, that makes no sense to you. See, you don't visit. Visiting is a thing. I grew up being told you must go visit the, the old woman. Oh, visits. yeah. Visiting. Yeah, yeah. No, no, visits. I understand that. We can visit. Yeah, it's yeah. Visit. It's, no, we can visit. It's visit. Chat. Look at, like, chat who were listening to me. I can go back to my live chat. Annie, uh, Okay, Annie's in Isaiah Z says, I always thought the first place you learned how to be a Christian was the home. Yes, but there's there's layers in it, right? So does the equation of manners and Christian virtue come after capitalism? Um, what we're dealing with, I think, is a capitalist version of virtue. And what yeah. we're going, I, yeah. I had a very ambitious like syllabus for this particular episode. We were going to go back to the Middle Ages. Guess what? Part three, five, eight. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that realizing with this episode, we're needing to unpack this whole claim of etiquette from, it's like show that the, 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 the anglicized version of the white 90 Jesus who is sentimentally appropriate has one register of character. But the, mm. the Catholic, I don't know, is it Spanish? Is it Southern? Is it it's Mediterranean, Mediterranean, right? All of there's, yeah. there's other cultures other than the English, which is also, I think, a subset of English, right? Because the Southern American is also part of that something mm. um, that, that we, we've, we've gotten tangled up etiquette, morals, virtue, Christ-like in ways that is mm. very difficult for people to disarticulate because if it's rude to blow your nose on the rushes, does that mean it's unchristian? Mm. I think is is the problem. But we'll, we'll we'll go back to how to behave on a visit. Well, oh. <laughs> no, go ahead, <laughs> I'll go ahead. Tell you my story later. No, no, I was just going to say that. So the the Easter celebrations that. Uh, we would take part in there used to be fireworks that would be let off everywhere and then flares would be let off then basically anything that could be lit on fire was <laughs> purchased and then lit on fire and uh this was done with no safety barriers or anything you know it was just expected that it's easter we're going to say Christos and Nesty, everyone's going to yell out Christos and Nesty, and then things are going to be lit on fire, so leave if you don't want to be around the burning things. That was a social, that was just socially expected. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like uh, to contrast the politeness of, you know, oh, that's not safe, or you've got to think about your neighbors because mm. you could hurt them. That wasn't considered unchristian. It was just, no, we're partying now because Christ just got resurrected, we're going to light some things on fire. Get out of the way if you if you are in a situation where you're too feeble to be around burning things. Right. The whole community would light things on fire. 
we get the yayas and you know the old people out of the way uh and the little kids but apart from that everyone else was burning things it my point is that it, it that would seem extremely irresponsible impolite mm. uh and rude because i mean but it wasn't well, so thematically, we start with e duchies and how to behave on the internet and stuff like that. What what LaSalle is describing is a court culture, right? Mm. He's, he's describing, and that's again, I'll say it again, that why Norbert Elias brought it into his civilizing process is that he saw that the nobility was restraining themselves for the sake of the bureaucracy, right? You're right, you're spot on with saying this is a bureaucratic. Yes. yes sort of thing and and the you know the... well they have to they have to because they have to manage other people right if they're out of control they're incapable of doing their job as aristocracy so it comes with the job you don't attain a position of nobility unless you act like the nobility we're mm. acting right if they're if you're out of control you're incapable of governing a country you have to be the most disciplined of anyone in the country in order to be at that position or else everything falls apart. The king is the first slave of the country. Well, this also, slave. I mean, it fits with what the British are going through in the 19th century when they're trying to rule their empire. That's mm. public school education and stuff, upper lip. Yeah, it's, and not, it's not loosey-goosey or it's white, ma white man's burden and stuff. It's it's talking to themselves yeah, about yeah. how you can't lose it when you're in these, yeah. these, these you know, administrative <laughs> situations. Yes. So, I mean, but that, but that, I mean, that, the, the, then we're ending up with like the Norman, the Normans and the English and the aristocrats and oh. like, who is, who is Christian? Is it the, just the nobility or is it, you know, these, these horrible kids pooping in your, in your drawing room? Are they Christian? Yeah, lighting things on fire. Lighting things on fire. <laughs> but the, I, maybe the dessert is like, what's the difference between Christian and civil? And then, mm. and then the problem being, of course that Christianity is in fact an urban religion. It, it, it's 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 mm. focused on a city, Jerusalem. <laughs> it spreads through cities, all the cities that Paul preached in, Rome. It is centered administratively in cities, bishops, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting how, you know, the, it's, it's, not a, it's not a peasant's religion. That's why they're pa pagans or peasants um it or rustics right it's it's somehow tied up with being literally civil those nasty villains sorry oh i said those nasty villains those nasty villains right the, the, nasty the, pe villains. the pe but then but then you're yeah. also you know obliged to bring christianity to all those nasty villains and preach to them and teach them how to behave and what's you know both the british and and lasalle with his christian brother it's like you're going to get them to behave proper Right, mm. which means no noble, right, or aristocratically, right. Okay, but why is that necessary for somebody's salvation? I have to play devil's advocate now. I'm gonna read about visiting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So visits. Ignore me, fine. No, no, I think that's the actual question. Okay, so I'm going to ignore it. Oh, okay. Article one, the duty that decorum imposes on you to make visits, the frame of mind you must have when visiting. If only my mother had shown me this. Okay, 
but we're Presbyterians, right? My, I grew up Presbyterian. We're, we're Adam Smithians, right? We worry about feelings and sentiment. But here it is. Okay. Living in the world as you do, you cannot excuse yourself from paying visits from time to time and from receiving them. This is an obligation that decorum imposes on all lay people. You're obliged to visit! <laughs> Even the most blessed virgin, although she lived a very retired life, paid a visit to her cousin Elizabeth, Luke 138. It would seem that the Holy Gospel relates this in some detail, precisely to have this example serve as a model for us. Okay, this is, the, I mean, the problem of reading, it's like Jesus obviously does teach people behavior. Mm. But which, what behavior and where is it? And, and so the, you know, the, 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 the handbooks like this over the centuries, it's like, here's a model in the scriptures. Okay. But it's interesting that this is the main one that LaSalle picks up. Um, Jesus Christ also paid visits several times out of simple charity, for he was certainly not obliged to do so. To understand clearly and to ascertain correctly the occasions when you ought to make a visit, be convinced that Christian decorum must be governed in this manner only by justice and charity and that it obliges you to make visits only out of necessity to show some token, someone a token of your respect or to cultivate union and charity. This is not like visiting the poor and the sick. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is decorum and charity and occasions when decorum founded on justice dictates a visiting would for, be, for example, when a father has a sick child or a child a sick parent. Um, each is bound to visit the sick person in order to give all the help that Christian piety and justice as well as decorum require. Um, but there's others, he you know, goes on about, um, you must also be careful in visiting not to stay too long, which ordinarily is boring or disagreeable to others. Um, with regard to the people you visit, make sure they are not living dissolute or scandalous lives and that nothing in their conversation suggests impiety or a disregard for religion. Decorum does not allow you to have any dealings with such people. <clears throat> How to enter the house of the person you're visiting. When you go to call on someone, remember Holman Hunt's light of, you know, the light of the world, Jesus is knocking on the door, right? When you go to call on someone and find the door of the house shut, it would be very impolite to bang on it or knock more than once. Knock gently and then wait patiently until someone comes to open the door. <laughs> It's like how to say your name when it was while waiting in a room or in an antechamber. It's contrary to decorum to walk about. This is forbidden in the homes of the nobility. Under no circumstances may you hum or whistle. It's a matter of refinement to remain with your hat off in waiting rooms and antechambers, each when no one else is there. When visiting a person of eminent rank, take care never to wear a hat or to sit down with your back turned towards his portrait or toward that of anyone who has a right to your respect. Hat etiquette. Very important. Yeah. People don't wear hats anymore. Not really. We can do a whole stream on costume. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, also, he's not he's not telling them to take their shoes off. I, I just find this interesting that they've taken this, this visiting etiquette from the scriptures, but the people in the Middle East, they remove their shoes. It's not from the scriptures. It's from yeah, it's just odd, 18th like, century French court culture right you can greet some but you can greet some in one of three different ways the manner for ordinary situations is to remove your hat first with the right hand and lower it with your arm fully extended this is like stage directions for the three musketeers come on 
Um, let the <laughs> let the hat yeah. let the hat rest turned outward on your right thigh and leave your left hand free. Second, look gently and politely at the person you are greeting. Third, drop your glance and bow. Fourth, if you wish to move forward, begin by moving the right foot forward. If you wish to withdraw, move the foot back, left foot back. If you are passing someone you wish to greet, first move forward and towards his side. Then, as you pass in front of him, turn slightly toward him and offer a greeting. I'm probably not supposed to be scratching my head. <laughs> it's probably it's probably rude to touch my hair. In fact, it is. <laughs> I was going to say, no wonder they started importing so many drugs. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be high alert just for the direction of your hat in the antechamber. Well, I have here the Magi, and I was like, the, the, the instructions on, we're, we have instructions on giving and receiving presents. Let, let's let's sort of flow through, like, if we're going to map these onto the life of Christ, right? We say, okay, so Mary, and, Mary visits Elizabeth, but, like, this is not visiting in the sense of Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. It is how to um, do a Jane Austen level sort of social visits right you're, you're going mm -hmm. around leaving your card whether you talk you know it's like all of that very literally decorous um he also has things on um for example okay i could apparently tiso whose pictures i'm showing now didn't do a magi giving the present so i don't have that one but so for example when you give a present to someone it is contrary to decorum to praise it to the skies as though encouraging the receiver to show a deeper appreciation for it i've got you this great thing Right. If others praise the object, you may say that you wish it were even more beautiful, and so in keeping with the merits of the person who received it. It would be very rude to remind someone later of a good deed you did for him, for this would seem to imply something of a reproach. Or you could say that, you know, gift giving is Christian because the Magi bring gifts to Christ, and therefore we're going to learn how to give gifts. But this is not at that level. <laughs> or, let's see, we have, oh yes, this, this was a good one. I have, um, uh... How to speak of people and things. Uh, is that with the people and things? Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, this was not where I was going. But I, in the, on the picture I have now, um, the, the Jesus and the apostles in Jerusalem, and they're looking around at the sites. I'll get to that in a second. But um, in company, some people speak only of what they like or of things they particularly cherish. If they are fond of a dog, a cat, or a bird, or some other animal, they make these pets the constant subject of their conversation. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me. No, no, no. It's um. Oh well, I guess it wasn't the peoples and things. Ha ha! It is prudent when someone is using insulting language for you not to reply in kind and not to undertake to defend yourself. It is better to pretend that you take the whole thing as a joke. And if someone else comes to your defense, you ought to show that you are not upset by what was said. This is very useful on the internet. It is characteristically characteristic of a truly wise person never to be upset by anything. <laughs> a wise person or a dead person? <laughs> <laughs> are you dead? <laughs> no, no, no. Then you won't be upset by anything. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, what decorum prescribes with regard to praise and flattery. It is always uncouth for you to praise yourself and to brag. This is not appropriate because as a Christian, you ought to make yourself known only by your deeds. Only your actions must speak for you. You must never speak of yourself to say either good or evil. Okay, now, if you behave this way, people will definitely think you're polite. 
but the the sort of overlapping of whether or not it's about being Christian is interesting mm. because if I if I go through, I was trying to find pictures that fit with the the scenarios in here. There's one where he's talking about whether or not you should praise a building or something. And so it's okay. The the apostles there. Oh yes, there's lots of dinner manners. So we have um, the eating with the how to how to eat soup. Oh. It's extremely improper at table to smell the dishes or to give them to someone else to smell. You are never, I always think people posting online all their food pictures are very rude. You are never permitted if you detect some bad odor in the food to call this to the attention of others. <laughs> he, he quotes every so often from Ecclesiasticus, but that's kind of it. So, what this sounds like to me is a way of reducing the sensuality of your behavior, even though it's highly feelings-based. It's a denial of, and I don't mean sexual when I say sensuality, I mean like the actual sense of the body is being denied, mm. which would make sense if you were trying to discipline yourself for rulership over other people. But yeah, that's what it sounds like. Well, it's all it's all very disincarnate. Mm. It's it's the same. We're trying. We have rules about holding our body, about gestures with our body, about touching our body, about moving our body, um, and all of the all of the behaviors. So there's there's more sections of like conversation and laughter, gaming, singing, um, amusements not permitted. Giving you receiving presents, compliments. I mean, but it, it, if, if you, if you say, is it virtuous, right? There's nothing in this necessarily about, in fact, virtue. It's decorum and mm. politeness and civility. So you could have in under this kind of uh, social situation, you can potentially have an incredibly unvirtuous but polite. Uh, group of people it's it's <laughs> there's it almost encourages it actually as a kind of uh release valve from the strictures of all of these micro neuroses maybe <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it. Well, I so I I I keep coming, you know, in my thinking I'm getting around to. So we we is this simply Okay, it's court, which we're playing with the e-duchies and the problem of the internet. Mm -hmm. It's um it's kind of military behavior because this is a aristocratic culture. Yeah. And as what you're saying is people needing to rule over others yes. need to know how to behave because otherwise people won't accept your rule. I mean, that, that, well, they have to, they, ha they have to, to, Im to impose that, um, uh, the illusion of being in control comes from people believing that you're capable of it. 
So you have to behave like this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're you're not going to inspire a a, <laughs> a loyal like a loyal populace if you're if you look like you're completely out of control and you're not going to help them if the neighboring duchy decides to invade yours and you know storm the castle. Right. People want to see disciplined a, a disciplined aristocracy. Because they're outsourcing their problem. It's like, okay, that, that guy's going to solve the problem. We get invaded, who's going to fix mm -hmm. it? Those those guys. They're never... Uh, never caught drunk and picking their nose on a Tuesday morning. You know, it's like they have, they have this projected image of... Um, discipline and uh, an awareness of things that pe other people can ignore, maybe. But, the, but then we're, we're in a very difficult situation, right? Because the... You st I, you, you've muted yourself, I can tell that, yeah. <clears throat> Somebody has stormed the castle. So it was storming the castle and breaching the internet yes. spaces. Um, well, that that passage I read from LaSalle where he's talking about, you know, if you you are noble because you are Christ's, hmm. has one flavor of it, and then the, the I've I've gone to places I didn't I did, I mean it's like I was going to talk about the children and the education and it seems like we're behaving and stuff and as we've been talking realizing how class class dif how difficult this is as a class problem um, mm -hmm. and then I started thinking I have I, right now I have Jesus preaching to the people and so of course Lasalle has um, instructions on you know meetings and conversations right. The truth and sincerity that decorum requires in speech. Um, yes, or things like in the same vein, the royal prophet David, also instructed in the rules of decorum as he was in true piety, says that if you wish to live a life of happiness, you must keep watch over your tongue so that you speak no falsehood. While the wise man, it's Ecclesiasticus, wishes you to look upon lying as something so detestable that even the thief, he says, is preferable to the habitual liar. For the lie is always found in the mouths of vicious people. You might even you might say that even if you fall into no other vice, frequent lying is enough to push you quickly into a vicious life. Jesus Christ explains why this is so when he tells us the devil is the father of lies. Um, that. Well, I mean, what's funny is all of this. Once you go through it, say yes, we should behave like this. We should be decorous hmm. and polite and civil. And it's it's very hard. I mean, we've had this problem in the in the e world, of people think it's just funny to be as rude as possible, and mm. it 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 you know it, it feels very both like it drags people down into um, vicious vice. If you're if you're vicious in one thing, if you're lying, you can't regulate anything in your life. Um, but on the other hand, as we're talking, it's also it's like, well, how much of this is, you know, the, the upper class is just looking down on those horrible, uncouth lower classes and 
then reproducing the other kind of division that we're we're watching in our society of the the elites i mean in, in the united states the coastal elites hating all of the flyover people yeah. right you're just those disgusting yeah. uncivilized um you know bores mm-hmm. How do we find our way out of this? this? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think that probably the only way of doing it would be to have etiquette developed in the situation where you have a hierarchy that is not purely aristocratic. I have one in mind, but nobility is a uh, perpetual. You're born in, into nobility or you're not. So it's exclusive and it's never going to be influenced by the peasantry. You know, the villains, these these nasty villains, they don't influence the nobles. So the problem is that the society needs a different kind of hierarchy that can be influenced by villains and doesn't become crystallized by the strictures, this military, militaristic, bureaucratic strictures of, of um, the life of aristocrats because it chokes culture. Mm. They're necessary, but they're not life. They're there to protect life. They have the same function as a good fence. In their proper place, I think. The castle is not the... The castle's to protect the surrounds of the castle. The castle doesn't exist. Like you said, this the city and the countryside don't exist independently of each right. other. The city creates a countryside. So the, the castle's there... It cannot function independently of the countryside around it because it exists as a castle specifically to protect the countryside. So the arist- the aristocracy in their proper place exists to protect non uh, non aristocrats. So this is where I'm thinking imposing their way of life on non nobles. I don't think it is going to be good for a country. Well, I'm, I'm moving through the... They, moving, I mean, there it is. I finally they, found the picture I was looking for, which is the one that's labeled in the, the the catalog as Jesus telling the apostles about how the first will be last and the last will be first. And Ah, uh, yes. I mean, the inversions of hierarchies is one of the things that Christianity is always... Pointing to, and of course, the 19th century Nietzsche famously talking about it's the slaves. I think it's Nietzsche. Everybody thinks it's Nietzsche. Um, that you know, Jesus, with his teaching, kept inverting all of the hierarchies of education, of prestige, of mm-hmm. service, and lifting up the poor to be 
I mean, noble in the way that LaSalle is trying to lift up his his students, his his boys. I mean, he, he, he brought what it said in the, the Wikipedia is he, um, he first brings the teacher, the, the, the poor teachers into his home, which drives his family nuts. And then he loses the house. Uh, saying, um, yeah, in 1681, De La Salle decided he would take a further step into helping Oh, no, wait, so it's like, LaSalle knew the teacher's lives were struggling, lacking leadership, purpose, and training, and he found himself taking increasingly deliberate steps to help this small group of men with their work. First, in 1680, he invited them to take their meals in his home, as much to teach them table manners as to inspire and instruct them in their work. This crossing of social boundaries was one that his relatives found difficult to bear. In 1681, De La Salle decided that he would take a further step. He brought the teachers into his own home to live with them. De La Salle's relatives were deeply disturbed. His social peers were scandalized. A year later, when his family home was lost at auction because of a family lawsuit, De La Salle rented a house into which he and the handful of teachers moved. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, uh, David didn't start out as a, as a noble either. It's funny mm. that the there's a, you know, this, this reference to David's... Uh, civilizing people by explaining how to behave <laughs> right. but he's his nobility existed before he'd even set foot in a court that was inborn it had nothing to do with the social class he was a shepherd his nobility came from his faith in god the god of israel which is why he ended up slaying the giant in the first mm. place you know it was like a uh he was great because he was able to over, overlook the material uh, categories that everyone else was stuck in, which is Christ-like in my mind. Saul was the greatest physically, and he couldn't do it. And everybody was too terrified of the Philistine champion to even try. He didn't care. He said it's irrelevant, you know. We have the God of Israel. So who's the uncircumcised Philistine over there? You know, I'll do it. That made him great. That made him noble. I, do, I don't see there being influence of court life on his nobility at all. It was may, maybe him being taken out of court that made him <laughs> such a wonderful king because he spent most of his time running away from Saul, you know. It was the constant guerrilla warfare and being with men that he had to develop a trust with uh under persecution and you know he was he continuously wrenched away from the comfort of the aristocracy knowing that he would go back into it that made him a good king I don't know. To me, that seems like the good pattern for us. Not getting stuck in an aristocratic mindset. Being like at home in caves or in palaces and not caring in either direction where you are. That makes you royal. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I pull all of these threads together because yes exactly we've gotten to the place where 
the fascinating thing about all of this, you know, you're be not being Christ-like, you're behaving Christ-like, is it's all happening in um, these very ordinary social situations for the, for the mm -hmm. most part, right? We're not, we're not in war. In, in war, people have to behave well because otherwise everybody dies because of the company falls apart <laughs> and yeah. and um so annie uh isaiah and annie z is saying i like to have i like to look at having manners as wanting to make others feel comfortable annie yeah but sometimes we have to say things that make people really uncomfortable and then we're in where we are right in the the problem of the christ-like which is where we've, we've been pushing up against this right everybody uses you're not being Christ-like in the guise of either the Presbyterian, Smithian, Anglican um, sentiment mm. criticism, right? You're 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 not being nice, yes. and 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 we will now shame you because um, then we'll get you to behave, and you don't want to not let you don't want to be shamed because you don't want us to to um talk nasty about you because of what you've done um and then from the other side the aristocratic civilizing fashion that de la salle is trying to teach his um boys and the teachers is also still within the um don't make a disturbance hmm. mode and you know you will always be called out for not being Christ-like whenever you make people feel uncomfortable. You're not being nice. You know, your manner, your manner, you're not behaving properly. Your manners are, or yeah, I mean, mainly that it's like, it's like Christ-like should be in the white 90, undisturbing, unco uncomplicated. Don't make no people feel sad. Cause that's not Christ-like to be nasty and not nice. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the sermon for yeah, this week, the reading for this week was the the sermon when there's the storm in the boat and and Jesus is asleep and the and the apostles are going, We're gonna drown Right? And mm -hmm. and you're in the boat and then when Jesus wakes up and you know calms the storm and everything, but it's I, this is the, my general problem and I we had a great sermon at Cantius Father Matthew did a wonderful sermon on the boat he loves this story I think because we're constantly in the boat here we are in the ark we're sailing around in the internet and trying to make sense of the chaos and turbulence and flooding and um, nastiness and, and everything and it, the, there's always this I think the, the, the problem of I think the magic of manners, I'm just thinking about this right now. The magic of manners is that that's never going to happen, right? If you can just, and I, I realize this as a Southerner, as a, all sorts of other things, right? But I, I, I know that as a Southerner, if I can just behave well, everything will always go smoothly, right? There's this sort of courtier mm -hmm. level of, you know, don't misspeak, don't misbehave, don't make people um, recognize, you know, my embracing my whatever inner autist saying no I actually as justice have to say things that make people kind of unhappy sometimes because yeah. for example in class I have to say you know you know one the, the, with the horror of dealing with being socially polite you know 
I have to control who gets to talk when. Yes. <laughs> you know how hard that is. It's because at a dinner party, you're just like, oh, anybody can talk and I'm going to, you know, do gentle conversation over here. And as long as everyone's having, you know, chatting and being polite and stuff, it's great. Right. But in class, I actually have to say you, not you be quiet. No, you can talk more. And yeah, by the yeah. end of the, by the end of a class, sometimes I'm like in, you know, shitters, it's sh shutters. It's an interesting, you know, portmanteau word there because I've had to, I've, 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 I've shattered, right? I'm just shattered by the impoliteness of the things I've had to do in order to do my job. Which, I, I mean, mm. it's just true when we're talking about the aristocracy and they have to behave like this in order to rule and so forth. But there, there are other ways in which you have to also be impolite in the nice sense in order to, for example, in our e-world, e yeah. right? It's like... You can't just let people do what they like or want. Sometimes you have to kick them out of your group because they're behaving in a way that destroys the the, the purpose of the exercise. And here's Jesus in the storm boat, yeah. and the the apostles are saying, "You're not taking care of us." But the you know they all want to. I think I'm going to go to, yeah the they want to avoid having people talk nasty behind their backs. <laughs> which is the picture that's showing yeah. now the evil count you know they're taking counsel to have jesus destroyed mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh that sanhedrin vibe that's strong well this is this is just i think it's it's i think it's i'm not even sure who they are right it's just it was called evil evil discussion I mean, this is what Adam Smith is trying desperately to avoid all the time is make sure nobody ever says yeah. anything nasty about you. Make sure, was there a Jewish term for this? Oh, the, you mean the, 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 the shit talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, yeah, you yeah. Know, that will be done to you if you misbehave and get outside of the, the community. There must be, they're very aristocratic in this. That's right. We will we will cut you and not talk to you, like yeah. If you've got an evil tongue, if you have an yeah. evil tongue, we we will make yeah. sure not to allow you to speak in this conversation. It's it's, it's very it's I I know I know how that works. <laughs> sounds like Twitter, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I th I think it's it sounds like I mean it's I think it's our default. Right. I think I think mm. it's socially default because we can probably find good reasons for it. It's like, you know, needing to get rid of the person that's disrupting the group or something like that. So how are we going to do that? Yeah. You're going to find the disruptor and you're going to get rid of them. Mm. Is that Christ-like? Yeah. That sounds Finding like the disruptor and getting rid of them? No, 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 not finding the disruptor, but being the being disruptor, the disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> which is why they, you know, they give him to Pilate dressed up as a king, right? It's the, the, um, I mean, this is constantly the irony of it. It's like Christ does not get to be in the white nighty, unbruised, unhumiliated, mm. unshamed, unlovely. I mean, that is literally what the the prophecy, and I'm going to have to look that up. I'll spurg on this for a second. The prophecy in, I, uh, the prophecy in Isaiah that says 
he was ugly, right? And this this oh, this yeah. apparently created a lot of problems for the the British artists, right? Because they had to look make him look look beautiful. But wait, no, in Isaiah, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And he shall grow up as a tender plant before him, and as a root out of a thirsty ground. There is no beauty in him, nor comeliness, and we have seen him, and there was no sightliness that we should be desirous of him. Despised in the most abject of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with infirmity, and his look was as it were hidden and despised, whereupon we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and we have thought him as it were a leper, and as one struck by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our iniquities, he was bruised for our sins, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one hath turned aside into his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's a shepherd <laughs> because he's humiliated and despised and carries all of our sins. Mm. Like literally the opposite of Adam Smithian loveliness. It is. It is. Because sentiment can't. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you imagine? very difficult to be the messiah when you ruled by sentiment <laughs> like hmm. <laughs> we got there it only took us two hours and 32 minutes but okay whatever yes exactly yeah. right it's like you know, the, the 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 facts don't care about your feelings fooey on that feel it we were, mm. were driven our entire social order thank you adam smith the presbyterians my southern ancestors driven by this does like terror of being not lovely and then on the mm. opposite side we have bless his heart <laughs> saint jean baptiste <laughs> teaching everyone to behave with you know decorum and 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 there's no depth or 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 um it's not christ-like no because christ-like is being willing to have all those people talking about you behind your back and carrying it anyway. Mm. Mm. Yeah. For their sake, to care for the ch those sheep children, to care for I mean, that's what's interesting. Dale Saul did it. He had his neighbors talking against him, saying, why are you building all these people into your house? Why are you caring about these, 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 you know, uncouth teachers to have no table manners? I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting. It's the more we try, it's like, I've been, I've been told, you know, it's like, what am I doing hanging out on the internet all the time with these uncouth people that aren't my actual students? Well... <laughs> We might be students. <laughs> Teaching them to scan, for goodness sake. I wonder if you all know how to use a knife and fork sometimes. And um, I mean, that that's a paradox, right? It's the more we, we're lifted up by our desire to lift up human, you know, all human beings out of the muck of 
embarrassment mm. and shame, as Jesus did constantly in his miracles. There's a lot of Tiso's pictures of his miracles that we get all, we get so then worried about being Christ-like that we stop being Christ-like. Mm. I like that. <laughs> it's good. We're worrying so much about being called Christ-like in the white 90 that we are becoming too afraid to appear humiliated and shamed before the world, which is literally the point of taking up our mm. cross and being willing to bear it with him. Mm. The indignity paradox. Mm. It's good. It's good. Well, he wore a crown of thorns, right? He has to be, a, this one, I like this one at Tiso's. It's, it's Christ hearing his judgment and he's in a crowd, right? It's the, the, um, the remember Tiso is one of the ones, he's Roman Catholic. So these are actually Catholic images. And so they have a sort of mm. mystery to them that I think the Protestant images do lack, but the, and Tiso has wonderful angels and, and sort of blue angels showing up to Mary and such, but he, the British liked him, the Victorian British liked him because he went and took lots of photographs in Palestine to get the locations right. So they yeah. figured he, he passed the empirical test, the historical empirical test. Mm -hmm. And here he is this um, scene of the like square in Jerusalem where Pilate is sitting in his portico in judgment and the crowd is there hearing Jesus here watching jesus hear his sentence to be crucified mm. i feel suddenly quite affected <laughs> um. yeah stripped of old dignity all of it yeah Which is a thing, uh, the problem we have now wanting to become Christians or wanting to develop Christian civilization. Which would mean, <clears throat> ideally, we become more and more undignified uh, compared to what what we've been living in mm -hmm. so the previous hierarchy has to be abandoned i i see what i see it as is we are having constantly in ourselves to fight the fear of being unlovely I do think, I think Smith was right about why shaming works, that it works because yes. we're so terrified of not being lovely. And, and that's like the, the, the Isaiah I just read, it's like, Jesus was unlovely. There is no beauty in him, nor comeliness. We have seen him and there is no sightliness and that we should be desirous of him, the man of sorrows. He's and in the medieval depictions, which Tiso is actually I mean, Roman Catholic. So he's getting closer to the imagery I'm familiar with. They, you know, they go for it with the crucifixion images. I mean, our 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 favorite director, Mel Gibson, did too. And it's interesting to realize, yeah. I mean, the Passion of the Christ was Catholic, and it's <clears throat> horrific. 
right? And the degree to which he's showing yes. Christ transformed from this, you know, beautiful masculine carpenter cares for his mom <laughs> um, to this, just the, the Isaiah passage, right? The, just from mm. head to toe, nothing but wounds. And I mean, and in, in the passion of the Christ, he, they do it, you know, in, in kind of real time. I mean, the movie's not quite the full day, obviously, cause it's not a full day to watch it, but you feel the, like how quickly Jesus went from alive to dead from the mm. the garden where he's praying to his arrest to this you know judgment to the crucifixion to dead in less than 24 hours mm. um and you know it's interesting in the british in the british discussion about how to represent him that they don't want him to lose his awe and majesty and dignity and it's you know it's it's humiliating having him speak in ordinary colloquial 20th century english all of this, this constant, and I say, I say this resets all the time, right? And I, I do say this is, a, it's, it's a problem in our e-duchies because like you might get embarrassed in a conversation, you might lose an argument, you might, um, you know, be a little bit made ridiculous or something like that. But the, mm -hmm. the problem in, in our, in our lives is you may recover from that embarrassment and then be tempted not to go, go through it again. Yeah. And that yeah. is going to hit every single time. Right. I, and I've been, I've been conscious of that myself as like, we're doing it right now. Right. That, um, yeah. you know, three cheers for white men was, I published that post in 2015. The first flame out attack on me because of it was in January, 2016. The next year was, you know, I'm writing, been blogging about Milo 2017 coming up, day after tomorrow day after tomorrow the the, the anniversary of berkeley and that humiliation yes. and the, what followed on that then you know it's like every it seems like every single year there's a, a new version of this test yeah. and i mean yay for me has been a strong one this past year because it's like say i was introduced to his music by jonathan pajo at cantius and by thinking about what he's saying is christ is king he's standing there saying jesus is king and yep. white lives matter and you know i love and i'm not even sure i can say it right now i still have that little bit of everybody decorum <laughs> left but i don't we want that shame out there that's the test yeah 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 and there yeah he wants the end of he wants the end of adam smith uh on on the on the culture oh d yay definitely does and he is literally yeah. Yeah. one of the you know on the you know, one hand feel that you can say pass that test that he was yeah. willing to look at Christ in the, as King and say everything for you. Yep. Yep. I will not protect myself from the shame. No, it does. It keeps coming back. Like the same, it's the same thing. It is. Yeah, 
it's a I think it's especially potent for uh it's been especially potent for Catholics that have integrated into the uh the Whig system in Australia because mm. they've suddenly come into a, a culture that has different shame mechanisms. And I watched the general generational changes in the wogs here. They became more anglicized. They lost their Mediterranean approach to doing things and to behavior. So not entirely, but I saw how they changed. And then you see it in the you see it in the great grandchildren, the grandchildren, great grandchildren, where they start to reflect on their grandparents' behavior. Obviously, it's a generation gap thing, which is going to exist anyway. Mm. But it's more the this kind of uh, quaint nostalgia and like a amused. Uh, there's a kind of amused and um, am, amused embarrassment at the way that the grandparents are so ethnic. Mm -hmm. When I see that in someone, I think you just you're dying now. You need to stop. And uh, not all of my friends have it, but some of them do. And the ones that have it, they seem the most miserable the ones that don't are the ones that are you know they're they're rejecting adam smith mm -hmm. they can feel that they're constantly being offered an exchange it's like okay you can exchange your ethnicity and you'll get this more respectable standing in this particular system but it's a tr you know it's a, it's a trick because they're uh they're losing their expressiveness. They're losing their ability to um, look ridiculous, which was the key to the joy of that culture. Mm. You know, that's what I that's what I liked about uh, being around, and I still like about being around Mediterranean peoples. They seem more um, <laughs> more ready to be ridiculous. I, pu I put it to you possibly because you're not, you weren't, you were visiting not in theirs. I mean, this is, I think this is, Jesus is also constantly showing that shame stuff reactivates yeah, all the time. But I'm, but I, I suppose I'm just kind of giving a, a picture of what that looks like, you know, in, the, in that, that's how I understand the problem in, the, in this particular, like, in that particular example, you know, I'm just giving an example of it. The shame thing exists in all cultures, right. I know. Uh, but like, that's the best way I can kind of describe it where you go, okay, how, how does it look? It looks like to me, uh, being brought into an environment where you have to maintain status in polite society. What does that, you know, migration is the same experience. I suppose that's why I'm using the the example because you're, you're abandoning something that you are doing to assimilate into this new place. Right. Well, and this will be the, the, the frustration then, that people have with the, the, you know, go back to Adam Smith and all the movement of peoples is I think fundamentally the reason that people don't like, the okay one economic and 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 land ownership and actual safety and stuff like that but when you when you when you move across cultures you're not affected by all of their shame mechanisms or their behavior 
rules. And so those new people coming in just seem unruly and have to have no rules. They probably do have rules, but you don't know theirs. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Anglo version is the one that, you know, we're working with in this context. And we've looked at that, that level of, you know, the way they're working with sentiment and stuff like that. But I think a lot of what's the, 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 the cultural, which is a new, we're, we're now sailing off into another topic right now, having like gazed at Christ and wept a little bit. Um, the, the feeling of not having control over those unruly masses is because those unruly masses won't accept your shame mechanisms. Well, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, it's, it's having a completely different set of shame mechanisms. Right. Christ has a different set of shame mechanisms to the world. Yes. Being the Messiah. This is where, this is kind of, I was trying to link it to it. We're supposed to be dealing with the shame mechanisms of the kingdom, not the shame mechanisms of this world. Beautifully put. He, yes. yes. <laughs> I, I had to get there. You were, you were, no, you were starting to party with the Greeks. We actually have a, we have, yes, a, we, course, have we have a super chat that's fine. It's a coffee. Um, uh, Libelul, libelul. I, I need a pronunciation guide. I'm so embarrassed. Um, just testing out super chat. Let me buy you a coffee. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yes, that we we should be operating by Christ's shame of the kingdom, and we keep falling back into the shame of the world. Yeah. <clears throat> there we solved it. <laughs> well so it's it's we're back to now we're back to the shepherd and his and his sheep but recognizing that it was always an image of isaiah taking care of us but to get to him holding the little sheep in the white 90 and and being the chad guy with the sheep he had to go through oh let's go back through that a little bit an awful lot <laughs> um yeah. and i think we also have themes that we want to build towards about masculinity, which we've kind of gestured towards here, femininity, all of those. But the, the, um, this, this, the, I've been thinking about the Adam Smith thing, recognizing that, oh, you know, I did like Adam Smith for, you know, the brief moment that I was labeling myself conservative, which, you know, okay, fine. We've sailed off onto another labeling, but that, that literally the wealth of nations is underpinned by a morality of feelings. <laughs> What's <laughs> a hilarious re recognition of oh my goodness we're just we're it's the two sides of the same coin phenomenon again right it's like you get free market capitalism sjw's and it's the same guy <laughs> the bureaucracy of feelings the bureaucracy of feelings so my dear that was another long one these etiquette ones are really clearly a, a, a lot a lot of work here um, we've had, um, Mel and John says, hello, all Mel is, is saying curia liaison and sea shanties, a uh, Mel asking De La Salle is a baddie. No, I think we're just all sinners. And I mean, De La Salle is actually a saint. Um, but the, the Christ-like problem, and I think actually Ye does that well in that song is we're constantly using it as a shame mechanism to bash people hmm. back into the worldly behaviors. Right. That's not Christ. Like you're, you're, you shouldn't be yelling at me and to be Christ like is, but I, you know, it's like a, one, the willingness to take on the shame 
in order to not bow to the world, not not take the ticket, I mean, big, uh, big levels, but also not take the little tickets of, mm-hmm. you know, lying, right? I, I read that passage from Delay of Saul about lying, you know, turns you vicious like that. Right? Lying in little things means you become, you know, more and more worried about hiding. The shame kicks back in, right? So that, that we're... Mm-hmm. We're trying to train ourselves out of that, and I, you know, I'm finally back fencing, which is good, right? And and fencing is is a very physical way of making sure that you're having to deal with this constantly because you just got hit. Mm-hmm. You have to acknowledge it. It's it's in the rules of the Saul. Salute your opponent and yeah. rec- and acknowledge hits, literally in the rules on the wall. <laughs> it's, it's, this is very aristocratic, right? <laughs> Salute your opponent. Acknowledge when. You f- you made the mistake and you got hit. You don't get to boast around and go ha 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 smack bash right. I see you get that right. I see that a lot in our e duchies, where people never will, they mm-hmm. won't acknowledge when a good point has been made. They won't acknowledge when they lost track of the conversation and you know said something that contradicts something later. It's like we we got a whole layer of of not I think intellectual problems here, but the. The, the constantly mm-hmm. trying to make sure you're not being shamed rather than just saying, oh, wait, you made a good point. Thank you. That 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 taught me something. Or, you know, and conversely, rather than I've been, you know, people try to shame me all the time, too, because I'm saying that's wrong. You said this later. Oh, well, now you're being nasty, you grandma. And I'm like, OK, but nothing. <laughs> I still notice that you contradicted yourself and I'm not going to be nice about it so that you like me and don't make me feel unlovely. Right. It's, it's, it's a, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a monastic discipline, a fencer's discipline, but it's this ultimately we're trying not to let the fear of the shame prevent us from acknowledging yes. the truth. Yes which is what artists need to do. And art will die if we are unable to do this. And this is why art has died. Because artists are constantly living on the precipice of massive shame all the time. And the crushing neurosis over being judged by what we produce is almost excruciating at times. Mm even for basic things, because, I mean, you have to be sensitive anyway. Uh, Not moral sensitivity sensitive, but you have to be sensitive to be a good artist in the first place in the sense sense that you're plugging into feeling and energy and human nature and everything. Then you've got to produce your vision and perception of it all, what you want to say about everything. And then just invite <laughs> judgment on yourself. It's horrible. And if you can't do it, you know, you're not going to make anything worth saying. The art that we're given is awful for a reason. People are not taking risks. They're terrified right. of being shamed of making the wrong art. As we saw with the, the pictures at the beginning, yes. That, that they, yes. Were, const- they yeah. were constantly being shamed by... I mean, going back to the Catholic, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't want this to be too Catholic. We don't want this to be, it's like, I had not put that together. And what you've just done beautifully, I think, is tie together the truth, the goodness, and the beauty. The art must be truthful or it's ugly. 
Yes. Yeah. It has to be true. Or it's not beautiful. Amen. Yeah. We've just created another record. Okay. You can't you can't you got it. I got it. We gotta say goodbye. Good night, everyone. Good day, everyone. Good day, good night. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Those of you who stuck with us through this entire sailing. This was this was a this was a big one. And I feel I feel like I feel like we got to a good place. So <laughs> we did. My, my name is like, we should, pra we should, my name is Inigo Matoya. Uh, you killed my father. My name is Inigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> we will have to practice our introductions to manage expectations. But this one, this one, this one, the managed expectations was Buona Notte, Sailor Moon. We went on for a long time. I hope you enjoyed the journey. We hope you enjoyed the journey. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Mm -hmm.